You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Everybody, welcome to the GGTMC, or they say in Swedish, "Hey, Jalo, Alahopa." I think is how you say it. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> yeah, correct. We'll go with that. Or uh, fairly well, you scurvy dogs. Schwab. We are back, and uh, we are going to talk about some modern horror films. Very modern, as in last year. Um, so we're going to be talking about the lighthouse from 2019 and we're going to be talking about, uh, midsummer from, uh, 2019. And, uh, we're going to be getting into those, uh, from two kind of hot and upcoming directors, buzzworthy as the uh, kids say, but, uh, Robert Eggers and, uh, Ari, Ari Aster, definitely two names that are uh, garnering a lot of attention nowadays. So. We'll be talking about that. It's me, it's Todd, it's Will, your Three's Company Jam, as we know. <laughs> Meet you guys down at the Beagle. <laughs> That's right. That's it. Let me see. I got. Uh, I think I got the uh, Swedish for "Hey everybody" here. Hang on. A I think I. I think I said it right. Let's see if it. Hey Galimpa. Oh, hey Galimpa. There we go. Hey Galimpa. <laughs> chalupa. <laughs> That's right. Would you like a chalupa? Mm-hmm. Uh, apologies to our Swedish listeners for my butchering. Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's right. Um, so that's what we are doing. All right, let's get into some uh, fun stuff. Let's talk about what we've been watching. I don't know what I, you know. I don't keep up with what everybody's been watching. So the fun thing about the show for me nowadays is uh, listening to you guys talk about it because it's always a surprise to me because I don't see it on Facebook as much anymore. So let's do it. Todd, what have you been watching? Word up. Um, okay, so. Few things. Uh, I watched uh, 2013 Roman Polanski's Venus and Fur. Um, it's basically a two-hander uh, with Emmanuel Senior and uh, Matthew Amalric. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing their names right, but that's the way I'm pronouncing them this morning. Um, 
it's pretty good. Uh, it's got some strong performances. It does kind of waver here and there, yeah. uh, having one set. Um, but it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of nice ideas going on in there, uh, and I like the way that it kind of weaves in between uh, reality and fantasy, um, and the uh, the the play that the Amalric uh, character wrote, and the um, and the 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 way the uh, the Emmanuel senior character uh, kind of takes over. Um, I didn't particularly care for the ending but what are you gonna do uh it it, it is very well made and like i said it's got some really strong performances in it so uh, a lot of credit for that yeah um, a really good uh one set film yeah yeah it is uh i watched a sergio corbucci western what? uh i know right <laughs> um called Ringo and his Golden Pistol and uh, it, it stars Mark Damon as the titular Ringo um, and this thing was just strictly middle of the road for me all the way down the line um, nothing really stand out, nothing really all that exciting, no really good performances uh, Damon looks really odd uh, with his uh, his weird mustache uh, it's almost like he's playing a Mongol or something like that. Um, what you're saying is it's a catfish mustache. It is a catfishy. Yeah, it's a catfishy oh, mustache. Uh, and he also it also looks like he's wearing some guy liner. But um, yeah, well he al- he always looked like that. Yeah, I don't know. Did he? I, yeah, I was always going to ask. I was getting ready to ask if he looked like he was wearing guy liner. It seemed to me like he did. <laughs> he did wear it quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, him and Shokasugi uh, should have a a, a, <laughs> yeah. a, a vlog of yeah. uh, guyliner <laughs> tips. Anyway, um, yeah, this one I I have wanted to like it more than I did. It just uh, it, it went nowhere for me. It didn't really do much anything. Yeah, is this early cycle? Uh, this would be sixty six. So mm, yeah. it's actually a little bit mid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also proves that you know even Carbucci could have something that wasn't uh, yeah. top of the charts, sure. top of the pops. No one bats a thousand. No, uh-uh. uh, every, yeah, you can't you can't hit them out of the park every time. No. Um, followed that up with uh, Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice. Uh, and yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that comes that comes what out of left field, big time, right there. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, this was okay. Um, it just it. <laughs> I like what they did with the uh, the mutagen and uh, the Arkham Asylum people, uh, the villains, the rogues. Um, but oh, and uh, there's a great um, the Baxter Stockman character who's like a fly, basically. Uh, the guy who who played him uh, does a really nice Jeff Goldblum impression. Um, oh, nice! But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's so it's so they're so Batman and, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, Ninja Turtles are so incongruous uh, that it really is. It really is, it takes a lot to uh, to get over. Because um, I mean, neither one of the the properties like changes to meet the other one halfway. So the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are still like you know Cowabunga and pizza. yeah, exactly. Gnarly. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, and the Batman and Batman still you know like grim and and everything else. So it's really weird. Uh, meshing the two together, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, uh, but it's okay. I mean, as as a time waster, um, it's not bad. It is. It's actually a lot more violent uh, than uh, than one might anticipate. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Is Raphael 
Batman's favorite, he must be. Or uh, either, either that or his least favorite. Well, everybody's least favorite is Michelangelo because, you know, he's yes. a party dude. Um, well, he is. And if you, you know. don't like pizza then yeah. or fun, then, yeah. He was not my favorite as a kid. As an aside, I was Leo, man. But uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I was either Leo or, uh, or Raphael. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't think... Uh, I was well, always... A, I was always <laughs> Batman a... didn't play favorites? Yeah. Well, he was... He kind of... He kind of... He if, if he buddies up to any of them, he buddies up to Leo. That's, um, yeah. that's because he's the leader. I would so. figure that he would follow. He would figure in with Donatello. Donatello. Yeah, Donatello. Yeah, yeah. Boy. That's what I would have thought too. What because of the brain? Cerebro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Donatello uh, and Donatello was my favorite of the. So there you go. Oh, cool. No, Don, Donatello kind of <laughs> buddies up with uh, Batgirl. Um, uh, he's you know horny. Yeah. Oh, who, who Wise he? play indeed. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. right. That's right. Yeah. I get that turtle dick wet. Oh. Oh. You'd be like that. You'd be like that ninety-year-old tortoise that's. Uh, Oh, repopulating the race. <laughs> I've never envisioned turtle cock. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'll until, tell you what. Now, uh, now I am. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's especially a, one well, between that between side. that and watching the lighthouse. The next. Uh, does it, does <laughs> it still what, smell like slimy, goat cheese? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> the next GGTMC Jeez. album, Turtle Slimy dick. Shit. Yeah, Turtle Dick. Turtle Dick. Hey, do Cowboy and Bebop show up? <laughs> uh, they and how do not? Oh shit! I know, right? Rocksteady and Bebop. Oh, fucking cowboy and bebop. I'll tell you what. I'm about a quarter of a coffee in. Yeah, so yeah, Rocksteady and bebop. They do show up. They do not. I have never been, except for the original run of like the first, like I don't know, four or five issues of TMNT. Cowboy and bebop. (laughs) I have never been a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle guy. I just never have been. I watched the first film uh, a long time ago, and I've not watched anything since. Yeah, the, uh, the early... The early stuff with La, uh, Laird Neesman uh, was great. Yes, it was. It was a completely different uh, than what the cartoon was. But, oh yeah. And this was, I think, I, I think I got maybe the first. Eh, well, I wouldn't say. Well, yeah, first. I mean, some of them are reprint or uh, second printings, third printings, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I have like the first thirty odd issues that were that were really good. Yeah, yeah they, were, um, they were gritty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then it just kind of, and then it kind of went off to like into their Archie stuff and all that other stuff, and I, I just kind of moved away from it. Yeah. Uh, the cartoon, though, when it when it originally aired, I was excited for it because obviously, you know, being a comic book kid, I'm like, hey, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. Oh, I love the theme song. Oh yeah, it's catchy as all fuck. Yeah, that's great. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, they even have the the turtle. Uh, van in this thing that shoots the uh, sewer uh, manhole oh, covers. Oh man, that would—that's a pretty, pretty um, brutal instrument of death, isn't it? Though, <laughs> man, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's more interesting for for like the the manimal characters that they come up with. Uh, um, they're fun. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, it's pretty standard stuff. It's kind of laundry folding uh, sort of thing. Ah, yeah. Uh, but I, I I liked it enough, um, and I went from that over to Booksmart. Speaking of movies from 2019, um, and this is Olivia Wilde's uh, directorial debut. And if you like Super Bad, you will like this a lot. Uh, the obvious difference being that it's about two girls instead of two boys. Um, it uh, it moves fast. Uh, it uh, it's there's some really good laugh out loud moments. 
you do feel a, a nice connection between the uh, the main characters. I think the biggest problem that the thing has is that around the third act, it does kind of fall apart a bit. It gets messy, it gets sloppy, uh, it gets a little too cute, um, and a little too convenient uh, in a lot of ways. Like, uh, really, it really strains any sort of credibility uh, or reality, uh, if you want. Um, but then again, I mean, the whole movie kind of does that. Uh, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and, but like I said, you, you really got to be paying attention because it moves fucking fast. Um, all the way through it. But uh, the leads are, are likable. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not bad. I liked it a lot. Uh, dug it. I'd have to watch it again. Uh, it would probably come down a little bit, I think, on rewatch. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd give it a recommend. Uh, to anybody, um, do you, either of you guys see this one yet? No, man, not yet. I'm gonna try to. I it's funny you mentioned that, kind of related, but I started watching um, Ugetsu and uh, on Criterion, and then I was like, oh my god, I gotta watch 2019 shit, and so I turned it off and put something else on. <laughs> so I'll probably get to it then. Anything like that you guys really seem to think is worth uh, to check it out, I'll dig into. Yeah, no, no, I uh, I dug that one, dug that one a lot. Um, and then I'm just going to do these two uh, together because it's uh, they kind of go together. Uh, Top Fighter 1 and 2 from 1995 and 1996, respectively, uh, directed by Toby Russell. Um, and they're kind of documentaries about, um, about martial arts entertainment uh, and the people who perform it. Uh, the first one being all men, the second one being all women. Um it uh it's fun they're fun they're they're pretty informative uh especially from being what 25 years old um and uh yeah i mean they really uh they really show a lot they show some nice back uh behind the scenes uh stuff and i think if there's a problem with them it's that they when they show um when they show clips from movies the clips tend to run a little bit too long uh, and they also don't tell you what movies they're showing you. Um, so you're, you know, if there's, if you see something you like, you want to check it out, you're not hundred percent sure where to look. Uh, so that's kind of a, a, a down, uh, uh, a check mark against, um, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second one, I think I liked a bit more, um, because obviously, you know, women don't really get the, uh, same sort of attention that men do in this uh, in this realm and it really i mean there's some deep dive uh, people in here there's people that i've never heard of ever uh in both of these in both of these movies and i think that's kind of the thing that i like the most about them mm. um is when they get into guys and girls who uh who i've never even you know recognized like well i shouldn't say don't recognize but I've, I've seen them and just didn't realize um but it gets into into stuff like that like elaine loy and, and you know stuff like that um but uh, yeah, so I, I duck on those uh, for anybody who's uh, who liked that Iron Fist and Kung Fu Kicks on uh, on Netflix or whatever it was. I think it was on Netflix. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You might want to check out Top Fighter uh, one and two to get a little bit more. They're not as slick, obviously, uh, because they also came from a completely different time of uh, of filmmaking. Um, but uh, yeah, no, highly recommended. And I believe. They're both on uh, YouTube. Yeah. Um, so you should be able to. The YouTube's. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they are. I know the f- first one is. Um, 
Well, regardless. Uh, yeah, no, they're both uh, very much worth worth tracking down uh, and having a look at. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of stuff in there that you'll you'll definitely recognize. And, um, you know, when they get into, like, Sammo Hung, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, blah, 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 blah. But when they get into, like, the deep dive stuff is when it really kind of really kind of lights up a bit. Uh, How far back do they go? Uh, <laughs> as far as what, like... Like era, like... Um... Oh, they go all the way back to, like, the beginning of... Uh, well, some of the stuff goes back to, you know, the beginning of um, film in, in China with, like, uh, oh, wow. opera performances and stuff like that. Although they don't really get extraordinarily detailed. Well, even still, yeah, uh, just to that, touch but, on I mean, some Yeah, but it does... No, it does. It does touch <clears throat> on, uh, on stuff like that. Nice. Um, the weird thing in Top Fighter Two is that they had this. They use this weird transitional device, uh, a close-up of a, a woman's lips blowing a kiss at the camera, which is oh. just kind of odd. Gonna, thought you was gonna say wet turtle dick. Well, there was that. Uh, that was in the first one. More. Uh, they used that more in the first one. But uh, it's in there. You know. Um, and that's pretty much all that I got for uh, for watches. So. Nice. Nice. Okay, I guess that's me now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so yeah, I'm watching some 2019 shit, and I threw on a film by a filmmaker that I adore. Uh, it was finally available for rent, so I caught it. It's uh, Almodovar's Painting Glory. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. I almost, uh, I almost, no, oh. I haven't seen it yet. I, almost, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen his past two or three movies. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I'm about to hop on that. I was about to hop on that this week, but I was too busy and didn't get a chance to. Yeah, so it's funny, and I won't. I won't spend too much time talking about this because I'm sure I'll talk about it later. But uh, I liked it quite a bit. I think it's funny to look at his films and his career arc and. It's a quieter film, and it, it must have been written about how it is very um, autobiographical. Um, and, and that's evident, but I still think the things that he's touching on from his past resonate very strongly with me. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons I love Fellini so much, and him is, you know, the reflection on their, their youth, um, his relationship with his mother. I mean, I cried you know, pretty good watching this one, uh, some of the scenes, but it's nice to see with his past few films, him bring back some, some of the beloved stable of actors that he's used in the eighties and nineties. Um, so yeah, no, this is a good one. And I'll be pulling for Antonio on Oscar. And even though it doesn't validate anything, but it's, as we've often said, it's nice to see the actors that we adore just kind of get that extra recognition. Oh which, yeah. You know, no, I'd, I'd love to see Antonio win an Oscar. I really would. I and think he's super underrated as an actor. He is. He's so so underrated. So he's really good. Um, yes. Yeah, so you know, I'll he, say no more about he hits now. that uh, that you know he hits that boundary that some actors hit where their acting talent is sometimes overshadowed by their good looks. And even at his age, like I said to my wife, I'm like, man, if I can look half as good as him at his age, yeah. You know, fuck, he's a good looking dude. Yeah, Almodovar's um, and and Fellini. That that's a that's an interesting comparison because that's probably the director I would compare him most to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. In a lot of ways, and and you know they're the lucky. That, yeah, they're lucky to be able to make, or they've been lucky to be able to make films about kind of well, not fetishes so much, but fixations. So that would be the right word. Yeah, fixations, obsessions, and they both 
loved film. They grew both grew up under fascist regimes. That's right. And kind of went the complete opposite way and, and became very non-political in their stuff, but celebrated more life and culture and and film. And they did it all very organically, which uh, which I love. Yeah, because I think uh, Almodovar, I think he's been, he's, I don't know this for sure because I haven't really kept up with him personally, but I think he's been going through health issues, right? Like he's been having some health yeah. problems. Yeah, and they talk about that in the film. It, it's a, It's pretty... Stylish, yeah. stylish isn't me but it's, it's it is stylish, but it's he kind of lumps together a lot of stuff through these really well done like diagrams and charts, and mm. the character's got a zillion ailments. But you know, it's also about age and, and yeah. getting older and and reflecting in that way. And as we get older, uh, we all tend to do that. Yep. Right. So, yeah, no, good stuff. Good stuff from uh, my, if not my current favorite. He's one of my all-time favorites, if, yeah. if not my favorite. Yeah. Um, next up, speaking of a film about age, and in some ways, watched a film with a lot of CGI. I'm only, I'm, I've not quite done it yet, but I'm doing it in parts, just because I, I don't have time to sit down for three and a half hours in one sitting. Uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Oh, yeah, there you go. You guys have both seen this now, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I do quite like it. Um the CGI on De Niro's face distracts me so much on a close-up. Uh-huh. Oh, oh every, every time I saw it, it took me right out of the fucking movie. It, I'm like, it does. killing me, man. It really, really takes me out of the film. Um, to the point where I almost wish they had to cast someone different in the, uh, yeah, yeah. the younger role. Like, I, I, I don't think that would have been... We've seen it enough over the years of film that we'd be willing to accept that. And I'm sure you could have found someone, you know, with little prosthetics or maybe a touch I, of CG. I, I understand the why <laughs> yeah. of it, but you know, it just doesn't work. And you know, when no, people say, work. when people say, I love that it, it looks okay. It, it doesn't. No, Come it on. looks pretty let's bad. Be, let's be honest with ourselves. Shall we? Yeah. It yeah, doesn't. It, it doesn't, doesn't look, it doesn't look great, but it's, it is interesting because it doesn't distract from me at all. Really? Yeah. It doesn't bother yeah, me one bit. It bugs the shit out of me. Only, man. only the physical aspects of it. The physical aspects, like I thought about you guys with the kicking when he's, he's kicking mm-hmm. the dude and stomping yeah. his hand or whatever, but yeah. or even putting on, things like putting on a coat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can just see that lack of fluidity and yeah, the lack of joint fluid. Th- yes, yes. But I found a lot of I, I'm just finding a lot of the CG very distracting, um, even for. Uh, there's less used on him, but even for Pacino, and I just feel like Pacino, as much as he's loud, I feel like he's a bit miscast as Hoffa. I don't know. I thought he was okay. I didn't, Here, you know, the, the whole the, the complaint about him switching between like Detroit and and New York didn't really bother me um, no. for some reason. It just it didn't. I mean, it's Pacino. Well, I don't expect him to be anything but Al Pacino. And he gets to turn it up good in a few moments. Here's yeah, some, here's, yeah, yeah. here's something that'll blow your mind though. There's not a shot in the movie where Pacino doesn't have CGI on his face. Oh, I can believe it. No, I can. I can. He, he, and that's they, what I was they, saying. They use I, it I knew the most it was used. Yeah, they use it the most on him because he's, well, he's almost 80 years old. So uh, That's more organic for me. It's like more subtle. It's like plastic surgery. His was much more subtle. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the, the way that, the, because they have to take De Niro back so far, which is I think is what it is. That yeah. might be it. Because they got to smooth them out so much. Yeah, but but Pacino, there's like he's special effects all the way through the movie, and I think it's because you know they they you come into him and he's supposed to be what 50, 45, 50, 55, somewhere in that ballpark, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they maintain that. So there's I think right there's the key is 
it works if it's like a trick your mind's playing on you. Like it works if that's the way the guy's supposed to look the whole movie. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and forth, like with the Nero character and the uh, Pesci, Pesci character, it can be distracting because, right? They, you know. It, yeah, it just looks like a video game cutscene. Like, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with it. And to me, it's a shame because the film, I mean, from a directorial standpoint, I think Scorsese still shows a lot of energy. And, and this is a familiar beat for us with him, but it's still done with a lot of style and it looks fantastic other than that. And I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know if when I'm all done with this, when I look back at the film, if the CGI is going to hamper it too much for me to really um, score it as high as I would have, if he had just gone another way with casting or something, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll try not to do that, of course, but but hey, that was a decision he made to do, yep. right? So yep. he's got to live and die with it yep. from a critical standpoint. But I'll say this: I I have a fucking admiration for Catherine Narducci, who played uh, Mrs. Buffalino in it. Oh God, <laughs> man, she's uh, I'm picking up what she's putting down. Um, but it's nice to see him use other people too, like uh, Bobby Cannavale, who have always I think most of all of us have loved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's great. Ray Romano's good in a small role. I mean, everyone. Everyone's great. Stephen Graham's fun in a role. He gets to kind of lay yeah. it on thick. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this one again at some point. But, uh, yeah, so I did that. Uh, or I'm, yeah, doing that. Then uh, just a couple more things. been watching The Mandalorian with the family. Um, not really film related, so I won't spend too much time on it, but it is very cinematic. Uh, this one's fun to, I think, it, again, it's very handsome. And some of it is kind of just middle of the road for me. Yeah. Well, I, very... I think I think for me, there I think there was about half of the episodes that were actually good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other ones were just kind of like, bah. Serviceable. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's funny to see that I watched the one with the family that was very um, Seven Samurai. I guess this one would be Two Samurai. Yeah. Um, Gina Carano. I was like, oh, man, that's Gina Carano. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's, yeah, she's delicious for sure. Yep. And she's, she's fun in the role. Uh, I like it, though. I, I, I can't get over how adorable I find Baby Yoda. I mean, I know everyone's talking about that, but <laughs> yeah, Jesus, is he cute. Yeah, it drives you crazy. It's like, oh, I, I can't <laughs> handle it. It's like, I, just, I, I, can't, like I don't want to like this thing. No, but I end up liking it, especially God, whenever he does. Whenever he does force powers, it's like I find yeah. him even more endearing when he does force powers. Uh, I'll say this about the Mandalorian. <laughs> I'll say this, and I've said this already on the show, and I know this is a controversial thing, and maybe only Todd would agree with me, uh, or maybe Will would. I don't know, but this show is better than all three of the recent films combined. Oh God, yeah. I mean, oh, for sure. I don't think that's yeah. an unrealistic thing to say, man. I mean, I, I haven't seen the latest one, but I haven't either. But I don't even know if I want to. <laughs> I don't particularly care. The Force Awakens, and I, I just we saw it in the theaters. You know, I've never been a Star Wars guy, but I like them. And I, I could all our whole family sat there, and at the end, we're like, man. What a flat experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just utterly flat. Whereas we watch this, all of us are into it as a family. Like, hey, we're going to watch what episode of Mandalorian tonight. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. my kids, one, you know, both of them said, no, I'm Mandalorian. Or no, dad's Mandalorian. I'm Baby Yoda. You know, Baby yeah. Yoda and, is the gizmo of uh, 2019. Yeah, he is. Oh, man. 
It's it's true. It's so true. And just when he opens his mouth and he's probably eats, eats that frog and then he spits it out because he's embarrassed. It's like, yeah. come on, how cute are you? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, it's uh, like uh, it's like Herzog. You know, Herzog was right. You know, believe in your puppet. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, cowards. Cowards. <laughs> yeah. No, I was a little too old. I was like maybe Werner in a few years with my invitation, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad to see Pedro Pascal getting to work, even though you can't see his mug. You know, I have a man crush on him. Um, so yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the casting of the show and, and the genre specifics of the show, I think that's oh, the Lomo key. I think, spaghetti stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think the fun, the fun aspects of it are, is that it's not as star Wars and I see a lot of complaints, right? It's not as slavish. And yeah. I remember you saying that. I think that's its biggest strength is it yeah. feels liberated by that. Like I see complaints of people that he, that he's called Mando and things like this, but oh, fuck. I would think that the Carl Weathers character would call him Mando. <laughs> Because he's kind of clumsy dad. He's yeah. like such a, yeah, yeah. he's like a, yeah, totally like, dad, who cares? I mean, yeah, it's fun. but you're, you're going to get that from th- that section of fans, I think is, oh yeah, you have to walk that tightrope where if you're not slavishly indebted and referential, there's something wrong. And then the other half of the audience is going to find it awful that you are too much like you can't win with with that yeah. subset no, i don't want to say subsection i don't want to sound like i'm being snide but with, with star wars fans it's a tightrope walk and yes you know well a fandom in general is that yeah 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 no you're fandom. right you're right you're right that's fair that's fair but um there's no, always gonna be somebody again. who gets pissed off so <laughs> yeah you, you'll always piss off someone yeah but no it's fun it's a good looking show and i'll say this favreau i think has shown a real knack for um for for really accessible, enjoyable PG thirteen, fourteen A, big sandbox films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They well, I, I, like, I really like this Jungle energy. Book. I, I still haven't seen it. My kids did. They liked it. I didn't want to watch it, but I didn't want it. to either. But you know, I, I sat my ass down and uh, and forced it. And um, yeah, I actually I wound up liking it a good deal. Doesn't surprise me. I think he's very very competent. Mm-hmm. Question though, was there any turtle dick? There was, um, mm. but it's mostly hidden uh, because Bagheera was sitting on it. Cut or uncut? Uh, no, no they, they don't cut. They don't. Uh, don't yeah. cut. Fair. They got they got a scabbard on that thing at all times. Fair and honest in hindsight. Yes. Or and, and I mean obvious in hindsight. <laughs> Man, imagine pulling back that green foil. That, uh, that, uh, <laughs> slime, that slime. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't love the Jungle Book remake, but I do. There is a John Favreau film that i think is underrated and underseen and that's his uh zathura i believe it's called man i've been trying to catch that for years yeah, yeah. it's kind of like and, jumanji but with a science yeah. fiction edge yeah and it's a lot better than uh people gave it credit for i think i thought it was a lot of fun i have been trying to watch that for years because i remember there was a, a big like a brett Favre nod in it yeah, and yeah. now that my kids are of age, I'm like, we got to watch this thing. And I just yeah. couldn't find it. I couldn't rent it. I was going to watch it a few months ago. And we, I don't know, we didn't get a chance to. Yeah, it's kind of disappeared from uh, pop culture in a way, in a weird way. But it's, yeah, it's worth it. I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, pursue it. See what your kids think. I think you'll like it too. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, I only watched one more thing this week. This was like a classic. I'm doing dishes or folding laundry pick. Uh, Smoke and Mirrors, the story of Tom Savini. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Sammy's boy. That's right. <laughs> um, so this one started, and I, I kind of was rolling my eyes because I felt like it it, it felt very amateur to me, um, felt very cheap. Well, that's but, 
that's kind of yeah, that's kind of a thing that we're seeing a lot more of now is these yeah. like niche uh, documentaries that are made just by anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they just they tend to have that homemade, handmade yeah, feel to them, uh, and that's kind of how you know going back to the Top Fighter and Top Fighter Two are kind of that way. Mm. Uh, but that was also you know like I said like twenty five years ago so. It's a little bit more of an achievement than to just be able to whip out your iPhone and uh, and record everything you you want to record. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to say that it doesn't take some talent to put anything together that's sure. coherent. Sure, because it does. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's that thing where we're seeing a lot more of this stuff. Where you know, where when when you're getting documentaries about you know the making of like um, Pet Cemetery Two, and the, yeah. you get a documentary that's as long as the movie, and you're like, what? Yeah, I know. But I mean, there's there's obviously a market for it, so yeah, there is. Yeah. And I think it's you know when you looked at, were you going to say something, Sammy, or was I just no? Gonna... I just you know with with those documentaries, I think you know fandom is plays a part. We talked about that a minute ago with the Mando thing, but you know I, if there's a good story behind the making of Pet Cemetery Two, then there's a reason to make it. There wasn't. Yes. Well, that's yeah. And but if they're you know if but if if it's an interesting kind of. You know, obviously, there's like I, I take for example the the Jennifer Lynch documentary about her making that film in India. Mm-hmm. Mm. That one's really good because it shows a filmmaker in turmoil the whole time, and yeah. her kind of personality issues, the things she was going through with her life. To me, that's how you do that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, and and again, I agree with Todd. It takes talent to, in some form of talent to put something together. I've never made a film. I say and and, and hard work. Yeah, and right? hard work. That's it's not. Yeah. It's not. I'm not. I'm not shitting on anybody's parade here. Um, but I think that there's a very loose or very tight rope you have to walk to to get that done well and not just seem like you're cranking out these. You know, fanboy appreciation pieces. Well, I think the problem the problem kind of becomes that you know when you take things that would ordinarily be an extra on a, a DVD or whatever, yeah. and you make that into a feature. Yeah. Uh, you got to ask whether it's yeah. actually worthy of being featured. Yeah, yeah, you got to. And I think that's yeah. that's kind of the, the litmus test. These mm-hmm. things need to uh, to pass. Um, uh, and they have to have an interesting person. Else. They have to have an interesting person. Now, I'm not a big Tom Savini guy because I think he's a bit pompous, but. I will say I haven't seen this film Will's talking about, but I will say Savini is an interesting person. Um, not my cup of tea, but he's certainly an interesting person. I don't know if this film shows that in any way, because I'm afraid that he would not show his cards too much. I think he, I think he wants to project what he is more than what he is. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's very fair, and that's on display in this. Oh, okay. But <laughs> but which is which is keen of you to say. I want to talk on two things. You guys say, Sammy. I'll let you finish your point though first. No, that, that, that's all I was. Otherwise, that was the whole point. Yeah. So th- that's true. Th- this I think is a little bit of a uh, masturbatory um, forum for him mm. in some ways. Imagine that. But <laughs> yeah, Col- I, I color me stunned. <laughs> color you stunned. Color me bad. That's right. Um, Yes, color him the hero. Um, so he does have moments where he, yeah, I was the fucking leader of this in school. I was the gang leader. I was, you know, that's like, oh, man, come on. But <laughs> but I'll say this. Actually, let me get to my first point. You guys talked about this stuff being overextended and spread thin a little bit and fan edits and all this stuff. I think that in some ways, much like the VHS boom, 
a lot of the niche uh, streaming services are looking for content. Yes. So yes. you will see this. Mm-hmm. You will see poor films, average documentaries, etc. Content. Yes. That they need to stuff their channel with. Yeah. So that's what you're going to see. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very valid point. That's very valid, actually. Yeah, they they got to do that, right? So, well, but this. So I'm watching, and he's going on, and I, I don't dislike him as much as most, but I don't have a bad story with him. I didn't fight him at a in a Midwest, uh, not even Midwest. What's Ohio considered? Or Indiana? Well, where were we when you you guys fought? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. We didn't fight really. We just kind of bumped into each other. Oh, don't downplay it. Shirts were off. It was. It was like the. It was. To give people an idea, it was kind of like the Bruce Lee, Brad Pitt scene in Once Upon a Time mm. in Hollywood. That sounds yeah. about right, yeah. yeah. And, I and was, Sammy was Cliff Booth. That's right. I was Cliff Booth. You better believe. Right. <laughs> Except when I took my shirt off, I looked more like, uh, I, don't, well, I don't know, Fat Tony Iannucci or whatever. I don't oh, know. Steve Reeves, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I remember Red seeing Park Steve Reeves. Reg Park. I can, tell you, I, I can tell you I got more hair on my chest than he does because I don't wax. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can still remember. I can still remember my most vivid memory of Savini is uh, standing ne- next to Randy, like the first time me and Randy hung out, and I believe that was. I want to say that was Cincinnati, and I don't know. That might have been Indy. I can't remember. Anyway, Fuck, we, I know, right? Uh, I was there, and we're watching him go through that buffet line, and he's picking up every roll and testing the softness and just throwing them back in there. And I remember looking Ooh. at Randy, and Randy's looking at me, and we're like. Is he really doing that? <laughs> I mean, that's a buffet faux pas, man. You don't pick up every roll. Yeah, you know? that's a dickhead move. That is, you know. And, you know, and you know, you know, maybe to him that's a normal thing to do. But I, you know, I, I just told Randy, I was like, I'm not going over to that buffet. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> well, that's like Muscle Wolf eating all the pastries at the Continental <laughs> Breakfast one morning, that's, all of them. That's right. It got put out. They took all the pastries. That's right. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But uh, didn't you guys stand beside each other in the in the bathroom of the urinal as well? No, no, no. Uh, that was uh, John Saxon. I stood next to. Oh yes, yes, I've, yes. I've, I've uh, in my in my glorious years, I've stood next to John Saxon and pissed, and I've stood next to uh, Kevin McCarthy and pissed. Did someone stand beside Ernie Hudson somewhere and piss? Or I feel like that's somehow uh, well, in wasn't me. Woven. I've never met Ernie, but uh, I will say. Uh, Saxon had a much freer stream than McCarthy did. Yeah. Well, McCarthy, I could I could see that. McCarthy yeah. died a couple of years after uh, I was hanging out with him there in the bathroom, and uh, yeah, he was in he was in pretty bad shape. He was getting up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Saxon, you know, he's kind of a physical uh, specimen, a little bit. Well, he was oh, always yeah. Yeah, he was always a workout guy. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely was. But okay, so this one. Um, if you ever want to see your heroes in real terms, go to horror conventions. You, you, yeah, you, you really do get to see people as they truly are. Yeah, you get to see one. But only of if you, only if you're dying to uh, to be disillusioned. Really. Yeah, that's right. Yes, if you want that uh, that image to be shattered, you want to now know that actor is the one who doesn't wash his hands after he shits. Yes. Go to a horror convention. That's right. That's right. Um, but this one, to just finalize the second point, I was going to say was. I think that as this one went on, there was some really heartfelt, sincere stuff he talks about. Yeah. And some interesting stuff and some stuff about his time in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's early and I can't recall 
the one I wanted to share. I remember thinking at the time I wanted to share it on the show, but there was um, a couple of things he'd said that I, I really liked, and I feel like they were very sincere and, and heartfelt. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, know, you can do worse. But it just it was what you'd think it would be from kind of a yeah. It feels very much like a, a featurette of sorts that's been expanded. But hey, kudos to the makers. You did it. You got yeah. something made. It's streaming. It's out there. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. So I'll never rain on them for that. But it, you know, it, it uh, felt, looked a little, little chintzy. But hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, didn't shoot a commercial. So. Yeah, that's the thing is they got something done. Uh, but at the same time, you're like, well, you kind of, it's one of those things. That you, it's good and bad. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I think Todd's, you know, both points you guys made are valid. Content and Will's side and Todd's, uh, bonus feature comment i think both of those are very valid because a lot of these documentaries or films uh feel inspired by people who grew up watching dvd special features oh yeah and yeah technologies democratize things and people need content and yeah they've lost a lot of the kind of art i mean artistic documentary filmmakers is it's uh there's there's not a lot of them working anymore there's some but people who are actually making films it's it's a different format. I mean, making a documentary that'll really stick with you, and then making a documentary that's just feeding you information. And I like those. I like those movies. I do. Sometimes they can be great, but uh, yeah. Well, I'll talk about that if you're done. Will I can kind of segue into something I watched. Brother, I am done. So I watched uh, American Factory. This is the uh, one Ooh. that uh, Criterion picked up for the Netflix documentary produced by the Obamas. Uh, you know the. Um, a very interesting uh, documentary. I really liked it a lot. Uh, really good. It's about uh, the Fuyao uh, Chinese glass making company. They make automobile glass. Uh, but they own about seventy percent of the market, I think. Uh, Globally, uh, I believe so. Wow. Um, but it's really about the differences in cultures. You know what the Americans think, uh, unions, things like that. And I'm not going to talk about one side or the other when it comes to unions. Because uh, I can see both sides, but uh, you know there was a plant in Dayton that was, they were making twenty nine dollars an hour. There was a you know an automotive plant there, and they were making twenty nine thirty something dollars an hour. You know they shut it down uh, as they're apt to do, and um, then Fuya comes back in, tries to invest in America, and you know they start them out at fourteen dollars an hour, and then you get people talking about how they can't afford this anymore, they can't afford this, this afford them this kind of life, and stuff like that. And, but you get both sides of the coin. You don't get it's not just pro union and it's not just pro business, which I think is very important for a film like this and the way this story is told. Um, but it is interesting. Um, China is kind of like America used to be uh, during the kind of industrial revolution and in the early days of factories. Mm. Uh, China's that way now, right? Uh, health and things like that and safety, not really a, not really a very important thing to the Chinese. They're really just kind of. It's all about productivity, and yeah. uh, they're very American in that way. And Americans have become kind of the other way because you know they become educated on things and and stuff. So it's very interesting to see this Chinese culture come over and work with these Americans, and uh, you know the kind of clash that creates. And uh, not always you know very vocal, but just you know it's just kind of saturated with an uneasiness. And it's very it's just it's just really an interesting story, and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, it was really good. And um, I recommend it to anybody. It's on Netflix, so <clears throat> check it out. It's not obviously it's probably not exciting movie films, 
buying some type of clothes for my daughter and i'm always saying yeah it's probably some child made that in some country that you know you know where the kids have to work because they don't have enough money mm-hmm. and everything else and she's like why you always gotta you know shit on stuff i'm like well i'm just you know i'm just joking around really but it, it probably is true sadly that a lot of the things we enjoy are probably uh made by somebody only slightly against their will so it's uh you know it, it's 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 kind of that thing where you put people in prison and uh, then you make uh, license plates because it's cheaper. You can make them for, you know, and then you you got to find a workforce, so you start putting more and more people in prison. <laughs> you know, it kind of turns yeah. into that nightmare. So, um, and then you know you, you got to survive. You got to you got to work. You got to you got to have money. You got to eat. You know, you, all these things. So you know you got to eat the uh, fourteen dollars an hour compared to the twenty nine dollars an hour. So you know that's 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 the reality of the world. It's just interesting that, you know, America always gets kind of poo-pooed on for being the capitalist country we are, which we are, very much that. Mm-hmm. But uh, other countries have kind of shined to that and admired that over the years, and China's really the one that has really kind of taken that ball and ran with it. Yeah, well, uh, they've gotten – it depends on who's – in whose interest yeah. uh, that – capitalism is is moving right yes i mean when when you look at china i mean they're not exactly they're not they're not exactly doing this shit because you know there's a a boss who's who's there saying you know you're gonna do this it's more like the you know the government so Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean their culture they're raised that way right i mean the owner of fuya is like the point of his his quote in the movie is the point of life is to work yeah i mean that's what he thinks i mean in china if you travel and don't see your family, but maybe two times a year, that's honorable. So oh, man. in America, that's kind of looked upon and frowned upon, right? But in China, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Progress. Well, I mean, that's yeah. the same. That's the same thing as yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. But that's the, that's the same thing as uh, like in in uh, Japan with the kids being all about school and, yeah. and achievement and and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. It's the culture that they're they're raised in. Yeah. So that's I get the, it. I get it. That's you know, you could you could have you could do a deep dive conversation on that for probably hours. Hours uh, oh, on yeah. on various aspects of that and get most of it wrong. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but by that same token, I mean that's kind of what makes it compelling. Yep. As mm-hmm. far as as far as this, you know, this documentary. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, but it does get into the same old age old question, which is, you know, how much money is enough for sure. one person compared to two thousand. Sure. Well, no. or you know, yeah, if it's that one person, it's of course never enough in their eyes. That's well, yeah, we're in the fucking predicament we're in. Yeah, and that's the reason why you know, I mean, that's why capitalism thrives, and and that's just the way it is. But it it's, it is it does interest it does spark a lot of conversation. Like I said, we could talk about it for hours. I agree. We could probably do a whole uh, year of podcast on this one subject, yeah. but um, yeah. But we would also have to rip off the uh, the no politics uh, sign, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And really is, take take the gloves off, as yeah. it were. But it is really interesting, and I, I recommend people check it out because it's a kind of a glimpse into some of the realities of that of that world. And sure, uh, sure. Yeah, you know, I'm sure not all the facts are being told there. Um, but no, probably not. Like a lot of good documentaries, it shows both sides. It don't show just. Oh. Which uh, is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't just look, you know, at the the big businessman and say, you know, he's evil, You're evil, or the you know the union guys and you know they're the good guys because that's the yeah. kind of narrative we've been told. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of looks at both sides of that, so it's very interesting. Okay. And and really, what it deals with more than anything is culture and culture clash and 
human clash and when you get down to it you know you can you can say this is why wars are fought this is why this happens this is why that happens sure. because human beings by their very nature are going to clash i mean it's 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 what we do so you know it's very hard to you know bring that all together and, and make it make it sense i'd say together together uh, sure thereby yeah it's not like one of the chinese in the movie trying to speak english they were they were talking. I was thinking of watching the kung fu movie because they were like, "Hurry, she sure, sure, sure." She sure. <laughs> yeah, so, yo, speaking of Mando, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, that was yeah, Mando, Mando callers. Yeah. All right, we're back on track with our Mandarin. forty forty five minute to fifty minute intro. So we're we're going here. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're gonna take a short break. I don't know which one you guys want to cover first. They came out yeah. the same uh, year, so. <laughs> uh, Alphabetical. Uh, yeah, let's do that. So we'll, can I say, sorry, can I say one thing very quickly before we go? And I might say when Todd was talking, I didn't get a chance to. Sally Hawkins looks like Matthew Elmerick's sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ouch. No, no, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I they, think they she's do. adorable, but yeah. they look like they're siblings. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah. I never really put it together, but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Willem Dafoe looks like nobody's sibling. So. No. We'll talk about that more in a minute here. Oh, man. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. I think it's a poignant song for the movie perfect strangers deep purple so <laughs> you know it's always fun for me to play a little deep purple on here you know fire up the doobie right before we start recording here yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right um because our two uh <laughs> actors in this do play some uh i guess uh they are the balky and uh cousin of uh horror cinema <laughs> Oh, Cousin Street. Larry. Yeah, Cousin Larry. Yeah, they go. Larry Appleton, as he <laughs> <Yes>. said. <laughs> yes. Good old Mark. What was his name? Mark. Um, oh. oh, I don't remember his name. I, I, Mark Lindsay Baker? Yes. Mark Lynn Baker. Yeah, yeah Mark it. Lynn Baker, something like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Kind of came out of nowhere. Boy, he's really good in a movie I like a lot with Peter O'Toole called My Favorite Year. He's really good in that. He was really good on uh, Law and Order, yeah. uh, the Vincent De- special. What the fuck was it? The Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. Law and Order. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he played like a, an autistic kind of guy, an accountant. Yeah, yeah, he's a good actor, but he's one of those actors who forever will be remembered for you know 
Kind of yes. like Bronson Pinchot, who will forever be remembered for the character he played, right? So. Yes. Yeah. Cousin Larry. Cousin Larry. Um, the Lighthouse. Dogs be a ridiculous. <laughs> Is he from Meepos? Is he first from Meepos, yes. right? Meepos. Dogs yeah. be ridiculous. All right. The Lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> 2019, directed by Robert Eggers. Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Uh, certainly these guys could have used some iPhones. Um, yeah, so this is our, uh, our kind of modern, uh, we're going with, uh, some modern horror this week. People kind of, a few folks, uh, but I think, uh, we also were curious, uh, cause we all, you know, just like anybody, even though we watch a lot of old films, we, we want to see new films and new experiences and stuff. And, um, we want a new drug. Yeah. <laughs> One that won't make us sick. And, uh. <laughs> This. <laughs> That's right. We can all quote. Did you say something about turtle dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow it comes back. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> all right. Um, so, uh, <laughs> this is uh, the something I watched uh, quite some time ago. Uh, I did a little bit of a rewatch here. Something you guys have now watched. Um, it's a buzzy film, so let's let's talk about it. I don't care who wants to lead, but I'm curious what you gentlemen think of The Lighthouse and Mr. Eggers. And for those who don't really recall, Eggers was the one who kind of made a splash with the witch, or the vivich, as we like to joke around and call it. Uh, and he made a bit of a splash with that, and uh, uh, I enjoyed The Witch. Uh, I didn't love it, but I definitely enjoyed it, and I thought, well, this is an interesting director, and so you know, I wanted to see a second film, and um, I have opinions of this one compared to the witch, but uh, let's get into it. Who wants to go? Who wants? To, who wants to throw down, dare by? Um, I guess I can. Yeah, yeah sure. Ahead. All right. So Eggers, I think um, Eggers, who's also known as a director I love, but my wife hates. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So we went to see the witch in theaters. And I wish I could have seen this in the theater. Um, yeah. I think that Eggers is going to be a filmmaker that even when he whiffs on something, I'm going to admire what he put into making the film. I love The Witch. I th- I love that he's making fi- he's making horror films that are they're left field. I think they're very specific. Um, he he's sort of. A- He's sort of an American Ben Wheatley uh, in some way. Yeah, I think that's a pretty um, uh, interesting and, and accurate comparison. I've, and, that's that's very yeah. fair. Uh, or even, uh, or even, dare I say it, uh, an American uh, early David Cronenberg, because mm. um, he's very uncompromising in what he wants to talk about and how he yes. wants to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he's absolutely—it's a very specific thing, and he is going to be uncompromising and. Um, his dedication to that is something I find extremely admirable. Uh, One of the things that's interesting about the films this week is these modern filmmakers who take a very patient approach to filmmaking. Now, this is a shorter yeah. film than our next film, but yes. both of these guys are very clearly very inspired by cinema history. They're very much so, and I think they're both they're not afraid to be cerebral in their approach. Um, I think both of them, yeah, draw from different sources as well. And I think they draw from, I'd like to think there's probably a fair bit of 
personal fixation and or belief uh, behind the stuff they're putting on film through their first two films. Because I think one of the things we'd said was we talked about these two guys and who was the third filmmaker we had mentioned. Remember we said these these three horror films or something. I said, I wonder who's going to have a better uh, career. And I think we all kind of said, well, maybe Edgar seems to be more up our alley, but Astra's also good. Do you remember who the third one was? I want to say. Uh, would it have been Cosmatos? Maybe. No, I, th- I feel I like know. it was maybe Jordan Peele, maybe. Yeah, Peele. Peele, Peele, Peele. Peele yeah. yeah, it was Peele. It was Peele. But because I, I think they're all kind of taking this, you know, when you think of Peele's films and you think of Edgar's films and you think of Astra's films. So all, all three of them made two films, right? That's right, uh, yeah. and all right around the same, within a year or so, right, of each other, so they're kind of... And they're all kind of showing their patience. They're all just kind of showing their kind of love of movies. And and all of them, in a weird way, are kind of... Well, I wouldn't say... I say Get Out is probably the most different, because it's kind of dealing with modern kind of issues, but most of them are dealing with some type of folklore kind of horror. There seems to be a real kind of resurgence to folk tales. Yeah. Uh, in this case, uh, mermaids and dementia... Lighthouse stuff, you know. I mean, all that stuff's kind of folklore. It's a very old timey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then well, yeah, both. Go ahead. Both films, yeah. Both of the films this week, yeah. It's, it's interesting pairing them up because they are at least somehow uh, connected to superstition, belief, and insanity. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, what a lot of well, these three uh, filmmakers kind of uh, get into. Although, yeah, like you said, Peel is a lot more uh, socially concerned. Yeah. Um, that yeah. I think right. the other two yeah, he yeah. is, which right. is of course for good reason, right? It's yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I think we're in a good time for horror, uh, as much as people want to say, "Oh, horror sucks, music sucks right now." <laughs> no, it doesn't. Oh, it does though. Well, oh, can, it doesn't. You can always on, go man. back and yeah, you can always go back and listen to Deep Purple's "Perfect Stranger." You'll there, always right? have <laughs> Deep Purple's "Perfect Stranger." No, no. But the thing, but, the thing is, I yeah, I think that these filmmakers are the antidote. And this is what's kind of going on. These these guys are the antidote to the big budget filmmaking that's taking place right now. And you're going to see more and more of this because as much as even I kind of complain about all these, you know, franchise movies and everything else, the good thing about the franchise movies is it's going to force people to be creative with 5 and 10 million dollar movies. Yeah. And it 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 brings forth talent. And we're going to see yeah. that. We're going to see more and more of that, and I think we're starting to see it now. We're starting to see with the Eggers and the Astors and the uh, Peels, and there's a couple others I can't think of off the top of my head. But, you know, we, as film lovers, us three, uh, you know, we're always kind of looking for those next guys to kind of follow. And uh, I don't, I'm not saying that those three guys are going to be guys we're going to follow, but I, I would say that all three of us will remain curious what these three gentlemen are going to do. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yes, I think if we see their name attached, it'll raise our ears up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. okay, I got to check that out. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, the only the only thing there is that you just kind of got to be wary of uh the 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 overinflation of uh, social media. Yes. Well, yeah. In regards to that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah which I think You still kind of got to walk a bit on egg eggshells as it were. Eggers? Or egg, or Eggers shells. Eggers shells. Yeah. I think all three of these films and filmmakers now, yeah, that the buzz train comes in and and it's bad enough in an era when there was a calculated um uh publicity buzz, right? Yeah. And they get the studios tied in with social media and then you get just yeah. inevitably the the online social circles we're in where for a month on end we'll see posts about a certain film and yeah yeah, yeah the expectations and, and and oversaturation can certainly uh dilute 
one's opinion yeah. uh, fatigue, right? And, that, and that's why normally I really don't particularly care to hop in to, right away. Yeah, well, to hop in right away or to do more modern movies like when we do reviews for the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you kind of get into and and this, this is kind of going back to the same sort of conversation we had with uh, when we did Mandy. Because um, mm. you know you kind of you just kind of got to be careful of you know when when there's that new shiny object and everybody latches onto it and loves it and it's all of a sudden the greatest thing in the world and you're like. Here we go again, uh, yeah. and um, well, Tom, you know, it's it's really yeah. It, it's just it's just the the lack of realistic um, reaction expectations or expectation, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It just, maybe it's me. Maybe it's because I'm just a, a cranky old turtle dick. Uh, but you know. <laughs> Well, well, time is either kind to art or it's unkind to art, just like everything. Well, but that, right? and I, that's the thing too is that yeah, I mean, and, I, and if I'm remembering right, we we talked about this during the Mandy discussion yeah. as well. Is that you know you need to give these things a good while before yes. you can actually come back to them and say this yeah. thing is as good as we think it is, rather than I mean, and, and I'm not right. saying that you shouldn't. Right. I'm not saying you shouldn't like something or even love something the mm-hmm. first time you see it. Right. But you know, like I said back then, and I'm saying again now, is you know, not everything is the greatest thing that's ever been made. Period, sure. and then if that never needs to be made again after. Sure. Period. Sure, sure, and I think I, I sound like uh, she. Sure, sure. She the, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, the the truth is, yeah, you know, time like wine or any type of spirit, I guess it ages things, and either in a good way or a bad way, and you know, ten years from now. I'd be curious to revisit Mandy and see what I think of it then. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you that, you know, it's, it's really, it, it is really tough. I think I admire people who do reviews of new films all the time because I think that's tough because I think you're committing to an experience you had more than you're committing to the film. Does that make sense? Yes. I think you're, that's, yeah, I think that's so accurate. You're going to a movie, you had a great experience and you're like, wow, man, that was a nine out of 10. Yeah. But you didn't really look at the movie. You you look you're looking at the experience. The movie might have been good, but you're you're rating everything. You're rating the experience. You're rating the sound. You're rating the popcorn you had. You're rating the hot dog you had. It's the, the whole yeah. package. Yeah. yeah, and and I think you know when time goes on, I think you're gonna go back and look at some of this stuff, and you'll be like, huh, you know what? That wasn't really the masterpiece I thought it was. Or, man, that was even better than I thought it was that first time I saw it. Yeah. And and I agree with you. That's why it's really hard, I think, to... Well, I think, you know, all three of us are obviously on the same page. We don't really review new films. We like to go back and look at film history because we're film buffs and that's the way we are. But um, I think you get a more honest opinion of movies. If and I know it goes against the business model, but I think you get a more honest opinion of storytelling in movies, novels, comics, all media, if there's been time in between. Well, it's a clearer-eyed take... Yes on things and i think that's important when well, we look back yeah it's it's taking a step back it's it's getting a little more contextualization yeah um it removes hyperbole yeah well yeah, it, it removes better, hyperbole it gives you it gives yeah it gives you a little bit of uh a clarity uh clarity is you know, take absolutely. a break count to 10 that sort of thing yeah well yeah i think it allows us to assess things accurately because if you ha- allow the hype train it can expectations a motherfucker It'll derail yeah, yeah. things that you would have otherwise, otherwise quite liked. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Uh, Expectation is not. a motherfucker. I agree. <laughs> big time. Big yeah. time. And what was the, the the flip side of that I was going to say was... Uh, 
I don't know. But yeah, in short, I agree with you guys. I think that you have to allow time, things to breathe and step away and, and, and just allow yourself to process that piece mm -hmm. at a time when your opinion is unsullied Jake Sully by anything else. Yeah. Right. So I listened to another podcast this week and they had a best of the decade show mm. and without fail, 50 Almost to, like, yeah, 50 to 60% of their list were within the last two or three years. You know what we call that? We call that that recency bias. Yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> so that's that's the problem with doing lists recency. like that. Yeah, that, that's that the problem. recency bias. <laughs> that recency <laughs> expectation. It's a bitch. <laughs> she. <laughs> but it, it's funny because when I hear stuff like that, I that's what I hear. Like you never. Let me put it this way. I don't think anything on those lists that I heard was from the year 2010. I was not, about to say, I one there thing. was almost no 2010 shit. Yeah. Uh, because that's yeah. 10 years ago. Film film changes in a decade. Uh, look how much it's changed. Yeah. Look, at the, look at where we are from 10 years ago. We think yeah. we talked about this with all the streaming services we have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it's, it, crazy. it's interesting There's, to me that when people talk about that kind of stuff, because I think films can be and for a lot of people you know again this might go against what some people who listen to this show even think but you know i think people want to go to the movies and they want to be entertained first and foremost but i think yeah. you know a lot of i mean i want to be entertained as well but i also want to experience something new something different and something from somebody else's perspective that's my those are my you know main agendas when i go there yeah well there's i mean there's there's, there's a general division between People who are just looking for pure escapism, yes, uh, just want comfort food. They want like a let's call it the the quiche uh, sort of experience. They want the Spielberg experience. Yeah, they just yes. want, they want to be they want to be comforted with something that yeah. they is very familiar that they know they can you know just kind of go along with. But it looks a little bit different, but yeah. it's still the same thing. And there's nothing wrong. With that. Uh, I want to make sure. I no, say there's that. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and then there's yeah there's the other side of the coin, which is people who are actually you know expect uh, well not expecting but uh hoping, hoping for. for yeah, yeah exactly well you want to be challenged uh, you want to be challenged a little, a little bit right you want to be I yeah mean, not in a not, not in, all the time yeah not, not in an ad I mean, not in a both of those you could be both of those things yeah. not in an adversarial way you just want to no, no. well at least i want to i want to say this is me i want to be challenged by the storyteller a little bit i want to work some things out i want to i want to leave that oh man thinking, you know I, I, well i like to, i like to be credited with not being stupid <laughs> is, I, what I, is what i like you. I can't tell you both how much everything you two have just said is exactly what I said to my two sons last night yeah. when we were watching this. I, I, no, no, I'm serious. I said, look, guys, I said, you know, dad's different from a lot of people that love film. Yeah. Dad watches film and because dad looks at it as just the most beautiful art form because I am allowed insight and perspective into different cultures, different walks of life different situations. I like filmmakers that allow me to process things and stew on things and ruminate on things profound and minute. Mm -hmm. And that is the wonderful thing about film. And I said, and there's people that want to go and they want to turn the brain off for 90 minutes or two hours and escape yeah. whatever troubles them. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. It is. But, and there's also, as you said, there's room for us to be both. There's times 
yeah, I want to watch Intrepidos Punks. And there's times I want to watch Bellatar. And you don't need to go one way or the other. I lament for those that are blissfully and willfully ignorant, but I don't want that to sound pretentious either. I just think it's a shame that, you know, so many people look at it as just one thing. But then again, and because I said, because I think they're asking me about Dario Argento too, because there was this whole conversation. I was at my in-laws house and um, someone there knew him when he was younger and they lived in Rome and all this. And, and, and I said, look, they said, is he famous? I said, well, he's very famous. I said, but he's very famous in the circles that dad runs in. Yeah, I said, yeah. to, to people like dad and his friends, we adore him. He's very well celebrated. Uh-huh. Um, and I said, it's just like you boys. You'll know who Lamar Jackson is, but there will be a friend of yours who watches hockey and they will have no clue as to his genius. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's or, the way it goes. Or it'll be the other way and you'll live in a city that I lived in where Lamar Jackson played college football and you'll know that he's not exactly the person you think he is. Mm. <laughs> I won't make any comments because mm. I don't want to ruin anybody's image of him. Oh boy, it's <laughs> troublesome. Yeah, but let me tell you, he's not what you think he is. <laughs> that's troublesome. But you know, but, that's the publicity machine. That's, that's yeah, the machine. Of course, of yeah. course. But but regardless, my, my, my so, son loves Lamar Jackson as well. I'm not going to poop yeah. on his parade. He'll but find yeah, no he'll kids. he'll find out in his own time. <laughs> yeah, and that's the complicated thing. Uh, I didn't want to get into it right now. But yeah, there's some stuff. Yeah, yeah, complicated shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, we're all humans, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Well, I'll let's get into that. let's get into this movie. Let's I get mean. into this. So, <laughs> this is my second time watching it. Nice, my second time uh, as well. I'm guessing Todd only watched yeah. it once. Yep. All right. Yeah. So, so, Todd, you're a loser. No, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I am glad I revisited this a second time. The first time, as I'd said to you guys, I really liked it. And I got to say, this might have been one of my most, I, I don't have my ear to the ground like I used to. So actually, I was going to say, the other point I was going to say when we talked about expectation was a lot of times I just have to go on the strength of the filmmaker. I don't get into knowing as many of the buzzy, buzzy films as I used to. So when I heard about this, I thought, wow, this is going to be something, um, at least in terms of maybe not quality, but just an experience, right? It was ambitious for him to do something like this. So uh, first time I watched it, I didn't allow myself to kind of get into that rhythmic kind of feverish descent that I wanted to, as I felt like the film was probably going to lend itself to, because I kind of in and out of sleep, watched it over a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I got to rewatch it. Uh, I love that it's shot in like 1.19 to one ratio. The aspect ratio is really unique. Um, I wish I had have gotten a chance to see the theater because I feel like Eggers is a filmmaker who pays attention to every detail, as is evidenced by one of the things I, I really adore about him is this would have been a fucking, and it was by all accounts, a brutal shoot, <laughs> just a miserable shoot. And the lenses he used on the cameras were like vintage turn of the century lenses to give it a more authentic look. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's no, the kind it, of stuff I admire. Oh, this film looks gorgeous. The, and I'm, uh, the the cinematography who's it uh, Jaron Blaschke Yaron Blaschke yeah and he and I got to say he's nominated for the Oscar which I well, looked immediately like should be 
This movie is a German expressionist wet dream. Oh, dude, that was one of my notes because I felt so much like this film is German expression. It's it's drier. It's very drier esque. It's very German. Yes, drier. Exactly. Yes, oh yes, man, yes. and and it works so beautifully. I think, and when you get a filmmaker like Eggers, the way he contrasts and and cuts his film, we get those really sharp, stark cuts to daylight. Yeah. 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 And you contrast that with this never ending flicker of the candle and the frame keeps us very boxed in. It keeps us very claustrophobic. These two guys are on top of each other for the better part of the film. Yeah. 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 And that works wonderfully to create a sense of of claustrophobia and of, of cabin fever um, mm-hmm. really, really well, really well. And. I think you could look at this film in a number of ways and a number of number of interpretations. But to me, one of the things I really admire about Eggers is his look at man versus nature, man versus himself, uh, man versus faith, man versus his own nature. Yeah. And how those things tend to collide and and how those things inevitably bring about our doom or our misery. I think that I find that stuff. I think I think I think I find that very fascinating. Uh, Two man cast essentially, plus yeah. a mermaid, plus a mermaid, <laughs> um, and a few other kind of you know. I think there's one scene where they walk past yeah. a couple other characters, but yeah, it's 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 really just about Defoe and Pattinson and those two characters. And I gotta say, and I'll say it again. I know a lot of people know it by this time. <laughs> I've been singing the praises of our Pat since Twilight. And I know you guys dig him. Defoe is adored by most. What a treasure. And I think Eggers does a really good job in casting two actors who wholly commit to films they do, who have a real intense love and respect for their medium and their passion or their craft. And above and beyond all that, have wonderful faces that the camera really fixates on whether it's the candlelight or um, daylight, yeah. just two fascinating faces. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Defoe has a face unlike anybody, right? I yeah. mean, it's, oh. it's just one of the great cinema faces, whether you like it or not, you can't deny that he's mm-hmm. striking looking. He always looks striking. Mm-hmm. And then Pattinson has this weird kind of asymmetrical face that, that I always find interesting to look at. And it works really well for quiet moments. Like he's really good. What I don't think he gets enough credit for is how good he is when he's not saying things, when he's when he's just kind of reacting to things. He's really, really good in this at the dinner scenes with mm. his kind of dislike of the Defoe character uh, in the beginning and his dislike of all those things that Defoe stands for. And I really like that. I mean, he, he, he says a lot without saying anything. He does, and you really are able it's, – it's very clear – that the wheels are turning behind mm-hmm. those eyes. And I think to be able to convey what he conveys with just a grimace, uh, a twist of his mouth, or it, it's superb acting yeah. without being showy. Because this film in the wrong hands could have just been, it could have been like two Pacinos shouting at each other in Salty Sea Dog for 90 minutes. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, man. But you got to pick your shot. <laughs> oh, man. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Al Pacino as the Defoe character. I'm thinking, wow, this is a different movie then. The, uh, yeah, the, even the way he smokes cigarettes, uh, mm-hmm. Pattinson, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a touch, you know? And I think good movie acting is that. I mean, you know, you, you, 
movie acting, I think, is a little different. Well, I know it's a lot different than a lot of different than uh, stage acting and stuff where you got to be big. I think you know, McQueen, Brando, people like that. They changed movie acting by being subtle and subtle nuance and knowing when to move and when not to move and the economy of of movement and dialogue yeah and how to show you know things like smoking a cigarette or drinking coffee or a look a gaze yeah Yeah. so i think pattinson's really kind of taken to that uh very well and and defoe he can do anything right he can he can can overact he can underact he can he can voice an animated rat yeah i mean he can do anything (laughs) i can't think of anything william defoe can't do i mean i I don't guess he's ever done a musical, but I don't know. He's a, I, he could. He, I would, he could. I would he watch it. I would watch it. <laughs> As would I. Oh, he's such a joy, man. He's such a joy. Uh. <laughs> and I think I think uh. I, I read somewhere that Defoe had seen Hereditary and he liked it, so he pursued Eggers. Like he was like, oh, "Hey, wow. you know, next thing you guys make, let me know. I'm interested in working with you." And so Eggers, you know, had this opportunity to work with Willem Defoe, and of course, he's not going to turn it down. And then he. He's talking about making this movie, and Defoe's like, "I'm in." <laughs> so it's, I wonder. I, I think from what I'd heard that um, Eggers had been working on this with his brother because he and his brother wrote this. Yeah, and I think he'd actually written it before Hereditary. But I wonder if he brought this back to the forefront when Defoe showed interest because he felt like, well, Defoe would have been perfect for this. Do you know what I mean? Like, or was there something else he was going to work on? But he shuffled his his creative deck. Yeah. Uh, to get this one made because it, it just Do, Defoe's face, Defoe just seems hand in glove to this role. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, it, it almost feels like it's written for him. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was, but it, it certainly feels that way. Which and, is a testament to the successful collaboration between actor and director. And I always like to mention this because I always find it interesting. Where do you guys think Willem Defoe's from? Without looking, where do you think he's from? Uh, uh, fuck. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania. That's, that's, that's a good guess. <laughs> there are some characters. Uh, there are some characters in Pennsylvania. I gotta say. <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you What do you think, Todd? What do you think? What What vibe does uh, it give you? I'm gonna say uh, fucking hey, um, Utah. Utah. That's a That's a out of left field type pick there. So he's 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 in between. He's a Wisconsin boy. Oh no way! Yeah, so you never I would said get Chicago that. at the end there. Yeah, you no, never would. Yeah, Chicago's close. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you never would. I I never got that. I always thought New York or L.A. You know, he East just Coast or yeah, he yeah, fe- yeah. yeah he felt like an actor actor. You know, like he felt like somebody mm-hmm. who grew up around acting or something. But I mean, here's a guy that grew up in what the his IMDb says Appleton, Wisconsin. Well, the University of Wisconsin, Larry Appleton. <laughs> uh, That's right. <laughs> University of Wisconsin is in uh, Appleton, and you know, yeah. Deep love of film at that school. It's one of the better film schools in the world and yeah. in America. Yeah, yeah. right. So, huh, and I don't know if he cool. spent all of his time in Wisconsin, but I always find it interesting because he never really strikes me as a Midwest kind of guy. He strikes me more as like a New York actor, like you know something like that. That's what he strikes me as. But I find mm-hmm. that I always find it interesting. So I always like to bring stuff like that up because that's cool. You, yeah, you get these vibes, right? It's like Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando's from Nebraska, and you always think which is so weird to me. <laughs> yeah, no, you never would think Marlon Brando of all people's from Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very strange. Or, Speaking of Marlon, it's funny you mentioned Marlon Brando. I want to ask you two, because I was trying to do a little exercise here and think, who could I see cast in another version of this film that I would find effective? And off the top of my head, I thought uh, Brando and Cassavetes. No. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe directed by Ken Russell. I don't know. Wow. 
Well, those 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 mermaid scenes would be a little bit more graphic. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah wow. mermaid penetration would have been on full display, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The director I did, I don't love, but I was just off the top of my head. I kind of thought of those guys and thought just the intensity and the commitment, right? Yeah. I would say George Eastman and Romano Pupo, directed oh, by yeah. Bruno Pate. Nice. Oh, man. Ooh, now, we're ta- now we're cooking. Yeah, now we are cooking. That's a different movie. There'd be a cyborg, then, cyborg mermaid in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, then we really would have got mermaid rape and we would have got pissy, oh, yeah. pissy. Yeah. I think yeah. off the top of my head, I would, I would say, uh, Jack Nicholson. I and, thought about him too. Yeah. And Steve McQueen directed by, mm, I would go directed by, well, Stanley Kubrick would be my, my choice. That would be my choice. Ooh, tasty, <laughs> yeah. tasty, tasty. But yeah. Yeah, but, but um, you can have fun with that all day. I mean, it could be uh, I don't know, Burt Reynolds and Terry Bradshaw directed by <laughs> directed by Mike, Michael Bay. You know, <laughs> imagine that yeah. travesty. You know, <laughs> oh boy, yeesh! This would have been like, um, yeah, it would have been like uh, Ishtar levels of uh, <laughs> of yeah. critical failure. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. Yeah. And then that in that world, it's where yeah, you want the Matei film. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I don't know if I had mentioned this a minute ago. Did I mention Bergman? Oh well, no, you didn't. But you know, there's Bergman, a very strong Bergman vibe here. There is, and I feel like even with the witch, in looking back now, we're starting to see, we're starting to connect the dots, right? Yeah. And I feel that you really see an intense Bergman, um, or, or similar themes to what Bergman explored, uh, and I, and I think that when you see these two guys and you see this, even from the early scenes, you see this very, it's almost awkward to watch at first until you kind of get the rhythm of it. And I don't mean in terms of it being poorly executed, but just uncomfortable for the viewer. Uh, this test of wills yeah, between the two of them and the kind of the cat and mouse and the way sometimes one is the aggressor versus the other one, one subservient, the dom and the sub, like, the, you know, the way the roles are, changing throughout the film although most of the time we see um defoe in kind of the authoritarian role because he's holding the cards as the 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 senior or the uh of, of higher power um, in terms of j- job right so yeah. well i think yeah. what i like about defoe's performance too in the movie is defoe knows he's troubled yes like his character knows he has issues like he's putting on a he's putting on a big front to the uh the ephraim character or the Winslow character, or whatever, however, what he called Winslow. Uh, yeah, Winslow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thomas Howard character is who he is, but he calls himself <laughs> Ephraim Winslow. Um, and there's a reason for that. The uh, it is it is interesting to me that you know Defoe. There's these moments where he's you know even one moment where he smacks Pattinson early in the movie, and he's like, "Pay me no attention, lad." You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's what I love about Defoe in this movie is there's no vanity. I mean, it, it's an. Oh, ugly. there's zero vanity for for him. Yeah, it's an ugly performance. Um, mm-hmm. Pattinson, I'm not. I'm not saying there's vanity for him. I mean, he looks great. He's he's physically a bit of a specimen. He's much more muscular than I thought he would be. I guess probably well, maybe prepping for Batman. I guess. <laughs> well, he might have been. I think because of the youth of of him as an actor. There's a few moments when it almost looks like a Jean-Paul Gaultier yeah. cologne ad. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, there is moment. I mean, his his masturbation scene is. Yeah, those his masturbation scenes are strangely erotic to me. I don't know yeah. what that says about me. Yeah. But. No, no, no. But yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. 
Well, it's true. It's got a Joe D'Alessandro vibe there. Yeah, good call, man. But yeah, there, there you go. Maybe you cast Joe and <laughs> who'd you cast opposite Joe, man? Ooh, I don't know. George C. Scott, I don't know. <laughs> Working in Italy. Wow, that would be fucking who knows. Whoa. Anyway, the but the the I think that's one of the most interesting things about the movie is is that Defoe knows there's something wrong, and we kind of know there's something wrong with Defoe pretty much from the get go, and we're going to see this kind of unfold as it goes along, and Defoe's going to kind of take the Thomas Howard character down this path and how the Thomas Harry Howard character is going to react to these things is really the story we're being told. And, uh, and Edgar's just kind of, you know, plays with that with, you know, mermaid myth and, and, uh, just sanity in general. And film is one of the great mediums in dealing with hallucination and, and the questioning of your sanity. It's, it's one of the best mediums really for that because you can kind of do anything. Well, you absolutely can, and I think as a viewer, at least myself, I'm a bit of a lunkhead, so forgive me, but I think that we get a lot of kind of, i got to stop saying, I think that, uh, there's a lot of unreliable narrator stuff in this where I didn't quite know what to believe or what not, which I think is very intentional on Edgar's part, because we get that from these two characters, where they're questioning what they believe, what they see, what's real, what's not. Well, a lot of this, yeah, a lot of that's I think uh, rooted kind in the fa- kind of in the fact that um, you know right off the bat uh, the movies it's really about uh, you know grime and earthy superstitious characters. Yes, um, I mean they themselves are you know believe this stuff, and that's you know, um, but uh, that's that's where all of this comes from. And yeah, because the film I, I think it deals a lot with what goes on in the minds of um, solitary lonely men. Yes. Um, There's that scene, uh, well, the first time we see uh, where Defoe stares into the 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 light. Uh, Mm. I think that reflects that uh, because there's there's supposed to be like some enchantment in the light, right? He tells Pat's that as to why the last second uh, went nuts. Yeah. And uh, later on, he says that he's married to the light, but we're not meant to necessarily believe any of this is real per se. It's reality for them. Right. Uh, so almost every scene in the in the movie seems to have like some kind of like um, uh, 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 like um, mesmeric uh, moment, yeah. um, for want of a better term. Yeah, but I think that that's kind of that's kind of what drives the movie is this, this sort of you're not you're not sure you're you're always you're back and you're forth. Why is this thing, you know the uh, the. Um, you know the the performances these these two fantastic performances from these guys. You know, there's always a tension between the two, even when they're making nice. Yeah, um, you're waiting for it's it's this coiled masculine rage that's just seeping right, just there, below the surface. There's that. There's there's this odd. There's this odd Sexual. sexuality. Yeah, going yeah. on between between either uh, bestiality or or. Um, you know, homosexuality with the two uh, the two guys possibly you know yeah. wanting to it borders on to that, kiss right? each other at some but, point. Um, but man is the beast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where it, uh, where it goes from. And can I say something? I'm proud of my son here. So this is when they were still before they fell asleep because I knew they weren't making through this at eleven o'clock at night. And it speaks to the beauties of beauties, the beauty of Egger's work. So I was kind of trying to explain to them what was happening as best I interpreted it. And Defoe goes up to the lighthouse, the very top, and he's, he's you know, like you said, there's that mesmeric. I like that word. I'm going to use it again, Todd. Make yep. me sound half intelligent. Um, there's that mesmeric quality. And I said, well, 
you could look at this also as a struggle for power between these two people and the greed of man. Sure. And sure. William said to me, he goes, but dad, he goes, how do you know that Willem Dafoe isn't protecting the other man from this because it's haunted him and it's scarred him and he's already tainted by this. Yeah. Right. And, and whether That's I agree or disagree, point. I thought my son's 11 and he's dropping this on me. Like, man, like you're going to be way past me in about three years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just thought it was interesting that as a film, whether they comprehended some of the things are happening or not films. Beauty is in the fact that, like you said, being challenged, Sammy, we can interpret things differently. And this well, is a I think child. That, I think the part of, yeah, part of, part of that, I think, and it's an excellent point that your son made, but I think the part of that comes from the reason that he looked at it that way is part of that comes from his, you know, sort of non-cynical outlook yeah, on precisely. life. I think at this point, precisely. Yeah. and also an older man versus a younger man and right. maybe a father son, which, which sure, I think we kind sure. of see a weird father son, there's there's a lot of lot of role playing in this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in life, right? We play different roles and wear different masks, as Sammy. I know you often say. Yeah. Right. So we see that, uh, and sometimes the mask is pulled back, and sometimes the foreskin is pulled back. So. Ooh, yeah. the turtle. Yeah, the turtle. No turtle, turtle dev. <laughs> <laughs> Two turtle dicks. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, Yikes. I think, I think I said it again. Uh, there's that scene. I'm trying to dance around it. There's that scene where Defoe is holding uh, Turtle Dick. He's holding Pattinson and he's painting the walls of the lighthouse, right? The lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. And he's got he's got him on that platform. And I wondered if that was like a throne of blood moment where. Eggers whispered to, to uh, Defoe, listen, make this thing shaky. I want to get some shots of his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm genuinely oh, yeah. scared, just yeah. like uh, Mifuni was getting real arrow shot at him, right? Because you you can't replicate that. Yeah. So I was thinking that too, and then I was I was trying to figure out if there's a stunt double there or not because it's a pretty. I didn't a, spot one. I didn't spot one either. It's a pretty nasty little fall. Maybe yeah. it, it probably wasn't as far as it looked, but it's still the way he hits the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, ouch. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. The score for this film, it's very, 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 very minimal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that drone, a, what was that That a, droning? It's a foghorn. It's a different type horn. of horn. Yeah, it's a different yeah. type of foghorn than we're used to. but uh, Tremendously effective. It is very effective. Like The movie kind of opens with it, and it comes back throughout the film. And, and sound plays a very important part, I think, in both of Edgar's films. I think he's... yes. He's yes. very big on sounds. And how immersive sound is. Yeah, and how right? that kind of can what, play yeah. with you psychologically. Big time. And that's why I wanted to see this one on the big screen. But maybe Phil Lightbox does it again down the road. Uh, I love how it touches on envy and greed mm. as well. <clears throat> I think it's it's yeah pretty fascinating to look at it from that well, perspective. The kind, of, yeah, the, the kind of the beauty about this movie is that it's, it's, very, it's very open – to being about just about anything, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and so, yeah. and so, it's very, it's very much human conditioning. Yes, it is um, very human conditioning. Yeah, because I mean, you you could you could take the the conflicts and the and the performances and everything else about the movie and just kind of overlay it onto onto being you know almost any part of the human experience. I think. Um, yeah, which really kind yeah. of makes it. I mean, although this is this is fairly specific. Um, it's uh, it, it does, I think, touch on uh, a lot of things um, 
that we uh, that we want to or maybe don't want to uh, think about in ourselves. So yeah, no, you're right. I do want to mention this. I know you guys are always good about it. There is gull trauma. <sighs> yes. <laughs> film. (laughs) I don't believe for a moment that was real in this day and age, of course. No, I don't. But I do want to warn our listeners, there is gull violence or gull trauma in this, (laughs) and it is pretty brutal. It is. Well, I mean, it's it's so well done that I questioned if it was real or not. I can tell you that. It looks good. Yeah. I mean, if you're yeah, I mean it's it's nice use of camera trickery. I, I I know now from watching some special features and things because I bought this shortly after I watched it. I'm going to buy it. Uh, I know now that um, I know now how they did it, but I won't give away here, and I won't give away to you guys. I'll let you pursue that on your own. But it's uh, it is interesting uh, how much you buy that. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's, it's very it's well really, done. Really, really, really well done. Well, and speaking of the the gulls, uh, you know, the thing with the gulls I think is interesting. I you know because they're you know they're definitely dumb animals but they're also clearly meant to be something more mm-hmm. as they kind of taunt our pets constantly and seemingly mm-hmm. deliberately yeah you know as if you were already dead because you know they, they always talk about i think it's ravens are supposed to be the the uh things that carry souls from uh from this world into the, into the, the underworld and all yeah. that sort of thing um so I mean, I, I thought that that was kind of an interesting way to to use that sort of a metaphor. Uh, and like with the Black Philip, you know, Eggers seems to kind of cotton to animals as me- metaphors for for human conditions. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so you know, they they behave you know both like animals, the, the gulls do, uh, and Black Philip. So it, these things, uh, the animals behave both like animals and like what the characters believe them to be. Mm-hmm. So you know, so when so when the the quote unquote rules are violated. Uh, there are consequences, there are but, the, but, but the argument can be made. These consequences, exactly, uh, price be paid, uh, is self-induced and natural. Right, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's really kind of the genius of uh, of using these sort of things and and just not not stating uh, whether or not they're they're actually doing these things. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that's the beauty. Of it. And I, agree. I think that, that that's that's really kind of, and I'll be interested. You know, uh, maybe in his uh, third movie, Eggers <laughs> yeah. will finally get around to, uh, yeah, to showing us a turtle dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, one can only hope. We we'll come back around to that. The, the yeah, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. The truth you reach is, around to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The truth, the truth is, it is very interesting. He has used animals the way he's used them in the yeah. uh, first two films of his career. Well, they're taunters and they're tempters, and they're mm-hmm. they're you know they're more than they're they're supposed to be, but they're also like I said, I mean, they're also exactly what they're they're they look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as being something more, and I like that. I like that. I like that he's, he doesn't really say it, but he's saying it. Well, they're tied to folklore a lot as well. All them, sure, a lot of animals sure. are, so especially like, specifically like sea dog folklore yeah, in this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gulls yeah. in this, and uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this at this point, but goats and the devil, yeah. and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. these things well, are tied it, together through folklore. You know, you kind of think of you know, and it's, I think that this is. Uh, here, the gulls, it's a little more specific. You kind of talk about the albatross and the rhyme of the ancient mariner, right? Right, right. Yeah. The guy kills the, the albatross, and all of a sudden, everybody's fucked. Yeah, everybody's fucked. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. I, I love seeing the scenes when Pattinson, it just seems like he is constantly struggling physically throughout this film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything is such a labor. Well, every, yeah, everything happens to him. I think everything that happens to him is to drive him crazy, right? Absolutely. I mean, 
the scene where he tries to throw the waste away and it goes right back in his oh. face. Yep. And he just yep. screams because what else could you do? I mean, throw up. That's the only other thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah. He's working well, he's, him to death. I mean, all these things are in place to question his psyche and, and to push him over the edge. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting to me the way Pattinson does it. Like he 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 starts out very virile, very strong it seems in some ways and then you know, he starts to drink. He, you know, starts to change. He starts to be like, you know, he starts to think to himself, you know, if I can't beat him, join him, you know. I mean, yeah. you definitely yeah. get yeah. the job. Well, he yeah. gets he he literally gets the shit jobs. Uh, he does <laughs> being the new guy. And uh, dude, I got to tell you watching the performance here and I don't, I, I couldn't say how much of this was faked. I'm going to guess not much. Uh, but my back was starting to fucking hurt just watching <laughs> some of the stuff he had to do. Yeah. Yeah. This was um, a really demanding. And, and plus, you know, <laughs> cleaning out the chamber pots with a hangover. Dude, oh. fucking oh. no. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. Very full. Very full chamber the whole pots. Fucking way. Very full chamber pots, man. You got to empty yeah, those right? a little bit more regularly than that, you know? Um, but, you know, <laughs> the, the pat, uh, our patents and. Uh, Robert Pattinson, he's the he's the audience identifier uh, of the of the pair, right? Of the pair, he's, br- yeah. he's brought into the world Defoe already in habits and loves. Precisely. And you know, as as the movie goes on, then yeah, I mean, as he's going insane, you, we since we're identifying with him, we we start to question everything that uh, that every everything else is uh, everybody else is questioning, right? Uh, that the, the Pattinson character is questioning. Yeah. Um, we get it all from his uh, from his angle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sammy, were you going to say something? No, 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 no. I just, oh, you know, okay. at some point you start to feel while you're watching the film that Defoe is almost otherworldly. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That his delusions are obviously his delusions, but you wonder if they're not Pattinson's delusions. And we're kind of saying. Right. Yeah, and that's one of the beautiful things about the film is, like I said, I, I don't know where that, that funhouse mirror, how many cracks there are and how many different reflections there are. Or what's physical, what's real as as the viewer, which is yeah. of course perfect for us, like you said, as um, as inhabiting this through Pattinson's eyes. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I love, I, I really love how uh, how Eggers just starts to mess with with identity uh, okay. in a very elegant but very open uh, manner. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, we we're, we wind up questioning everything uh, as the characters do because we've never really nailed down. I don't think any of the more fantastic elements from the first half of the movie. Uh, so you know, what basically winds up happening is reality is uh, uh, up for grabs uh, in that second half. Yeah. So you know, any it really is anything goes, and yeah. uh, we that's why we're willing to go along with it. Yeah. And we're not, and we don't even really question it at any point. Yeah. Right? No, we like, don't. We don't. Yeah, it's, well, it's, I'll tell you, it, it's it, completely, it's completely, um, it's completely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, bald faced about it. Yeah. I guess yeah. would be a way to say it. Yeah. It's yeah not, and it just feels very organic and just matter yeah, of fact yeah. and just kind of move on. It doesn't stand on anything long enough to, to just demonstrate for demonstration's sake. It's just like, okay, yeah, this happened as part of this world that we're inhabiting right now on this rock. So yes. Yeah. 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 You know, it's got just a tinge of Lovecraft, right? I mean, so it's just got that tinge oh, yeah. of it yeah, you know, yeah. with, with the tentacles and the mermaids and the, and those kinds of things that Lovecraft, but I mean, it's not, it's not inundated with it. I mean, it's just, it's just a taste and I wouldn't say, but I mean, you know how Lovecraft kind of always makes you feel slightly off with his tails. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's got a little bit of that going on here. 
How about, yeah, actually, I'm going to recast this again. I'm going to stop Stuart Gordon. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. how about that mermaid shot with the seaweed? I, I'll tell you, that shot is tremendous to me because that, that little sequence, the mermaid is shot with the seaweed and she's beautiful and she's enchanting and she's exotic and mysterious. And then at, before our very eyes, she becomes horrific and alien, otherworldly mm-hmm. and vampiric. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I just love that that glide, that transition. It's mm-hmm. really, really, really fantastic. Um, how about this too? You know, I think what's going to get lost in the analysis of this film, and a lot of the commitment to an era, and a commitment to things, is the fact that our Pats, and of course by larger extent <laughs> Eggers pays tribute to Raven Shattuck by putting our pats in the, the uh, fisherman overalls with no shirt, much like Raven Shattuck in the no, city of uh, the city of fire, man. The streets of fire. Yeah. yeah. Streets of fuck. I did it again. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew know. I was wrong and I'm, I'm just going to go with it. Someone's going to correct me if I'm I wrong. Wonder, I always, <laughs> I always wonder if Defoe's like behind the scenes, like, Hey, yeah, man, you got to put him in that look, you know, it's, yeah, that's one of my most famous looks. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. I thought of that yeah. when I watched it, uh, even more so Couldn't the second time. It. Yeah. You can't help but think of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how about, we haven't talked much about the, the script and the poetry of the script. It's so dense and so eloquent and so authentically sea salty. Mm-hmm. Some of the lines, I think one of the lines when uh, Defoe says to Pattinson, he says, it's in gangrenous every shade of the peacock's tail. (laughs) What that evokes visually in my head, it's it's just remarkable. It's beautiful. Uh, I love it. Uh, How about my wife like this line from Pattinson? Very GGTMC line. If I had a steak, I would fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that is a very GGTMC line. (laughs) Them beef curtains. Wrap yourself up in them beef curtains. Funny enough, he wound up fucking a can of tuna. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I hope I use one of those. Uh, yeah, oh man, <laughs> that ooh, that slime. Um, I think uh, that I can't get around saying. I think looking at the, I don't want to say flimsy, or but the the fragile nature of man. Mm-hmm. I, I really I, I love seeing that on display. There's that scene with with. You're fond of my lobster, aren't you? (laughs) I love that scene. And it almost comes across a little bit comedic and and absurd and silly. But I think on a deeper level, that validation that we all seek as people, and that becomes a real, even more of a wedge that's driven between them. And how petty Pattinson is not to concede anything to him. Even what Defoe feels is his, the crown jewel in his fucking uh, culinary... uh, crown like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck it i'm not gonna relent anything i'm not gonna give you shit your lobster sucks yeah well it's 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 also that to me it's that kind of you know scene where defoe you know he spends the majority of his time by himself mm-hmm. he's very much a lonely person but he's a lonely person who wants to connect with somebody and he, he does. doesn't he doesn't know how to connect and no. then when Pattinson starts barking and biting back he's like well, you're, you're fond of my lobster though right you know i mean he's you know, he's trying to find. At that point, he's trying to grab anything he can to, to, to make Patton, Pattinson understand that they're friends. 
Well, the roles reverse. Like I said, they yeah. reverse from scene to scene at times, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really fascinating thing. The power struggle between people and roles and relationships. It's yeah, really, and really you're interesting. Supposed to, you're supposed to, as an audience member, I think at that point, you're supposed to start to feel for the Defoe character who's yes. kind of been this kind of gruff bully the majority of the movie. That's right. Uh, but he has these kind of brief moments of... Of uh, kindness, yeah, of kindness or uh, pity, humanity, yeah, pity. You kind of feel pity for him at yep. times, pity, um, and and things like that. And he's like a whimpering child. He's like a child sometimes. He is. He's on the floor with his knees kind of up to his chest, yeah. and yeah. yeah, no, it's. Uh, but see, and that's the great thing about Eggers is how quickly this stops on a dime because we go from that, where Pattinson's like "fuck your lobster," <laughs> yeah. to now Defoe gets up, he stands up, he's a force of nature. And we get that sea curse, which is epic, poetic, one take. Defoe doesn't fucking blink. Yeah. And it is almost like he is the king of the fucking sea. Yeah. At that moment. Yeah. It's it's just incredible. It is. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. We do get to see Mervag in this, we should say. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Both Labia, Menorah, and Majora. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we also get to see some great dancing. Some serious drunk rug cutting from these oh, two. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, I, you I know, you know. I guess you know. You, you think about an era when there's no television, there's only literature and things like that, and you know, puzzles. I guess to keep you occupied. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody knows how to square dance or see dance a little bit. You know, because what else? You, what else are you gonna do? <laughs> huh? Every yeah, yeah. That's just it. That's just it. I think that my phone is going to make a fucking noise. Uh, I love the one of the things I didn't notice the first time I watched this was, and I noticed it this time, and I think it works really well. Is when there's just that constant drip of water, even when they're in an in a there, it's an interior shot, or they're in the they're, they're, they never escape from the water, and the madness that. Mm-hmm. That drives just from the drip, 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 yeah, drip, yeah. drip, constant, constantly, mm-hmm. and over time, that wears you down. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it works really, really well. Uh, and those are really all my notes, other than to say the finale of this, the violence. There's some violence. It's very effective. Yeah, the sound design's great, and. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, I don't want to say too much. Well, the ending, uh, yeah. Speaking of the ending, I think it it, it, it is both inevitable and enigmatic. Yes. Uh, because we don't get a full explanation, although we see everything that's that's happening pretty much. Uh, the only thing that I could really add on here uh, to the conversation um, is that one observation is that the first half of the movie uh, introduces us to the oddities of the lighthouse. Uh, while the second half, when uh, Pattinson starts to actually assert himself, is when the madness and the alcohol uh, fully take hold. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, for me at least, the mystery of the light, um, the light itself, is what ultimately drives it, drives the film. Mm-hmm. Because I think that uh, when I when when I was well, I'm I'm going to put it this way: the way that I boiled it down was that the light um, symbolizes a communion of sorts either with mm-hmm. uh, with nature with god with the uh, triton of some uh, or or, 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 or uh, as a means of absolving guilt or whatever mm-hmm. um and it's something that uh, pattinson has been without um and is denied and, exactly and i think that i think that his character you know he fully embraces his lunatic side um 
with uh, with watching that and with that manic masturbation scene uh, that uh, that happens. That from then onward, um, he's just you know fully committed to having uh, kind of joined up with uh, the point of view of the uh, the Defoe character. It's just the way that he manifests it. Uh, is ultimately going to be this battle of wills that takes place throughout the rest of the movie. Right. Um, but yeah, other, yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, uh, for me personally, I think that I, uh, this is a better, a more complete film for Maggers than I think The Witch was. I think The Witch was like a 95% really good movie. Um, but uh, yeah, this thing really, uh, really attacks you uh, and it, it stays with you. you there's uh, a lot a lot about this that will just kind of haunt you. Um, it's like a, a good, uh, a good pot sticker it sticks to the ribs. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much all that I could really add on to this thing. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's fantastic looking. It's fantastically acted. It's, it's definitely not for everybody. Uh, there's a lot of people Ooh. who are going to be put off by, uh, yeah. by both the, the coarseness, um, and the, uh, just the general, um, patience uh, uh that yeah. it takes to well, the weird, uh, to, to, weirdness to too them. right it's 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 a, it's a weird movie i mean we can we yeah can well it, yeah it, it, it's un, it's unapologetically weird yeah uh it makes no it makes absolutely no bones about it no. um it, you know if you're not willing to accept this thing after the first five minutes i don't think that uh you're really gonna yeah you're really gonna get along with it yeah 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 i think this one is is weird throughout where i always felt like the witch was really didn't well the witch was a build-up yeah, it was a build-up to a payoff that you either bought yes. or you didn't buy. This uh, is innately weird. Sounds yeah. like sounds like Will's wife didn't buy the payoff. <laughs> but- no, she. Yeah, she. <laughs> no, I. I think Eggers is one that we're going to be on opposite the spectrum with, sure, and that's sure. okay. And that, yeah, that is okay, right? I mean, I, I mean, I don't have a lot to add either. I, I just think you know, uh, one of the things I, I really admired about the films this week was just the patience of the filmmakers. And these are guys that are in their thirties. Uh, Eggers is a little bit older than Astor, um, but not much. I mean, neither one of them are near forty yet. So it's interesting to me the kind of patience these guys have um, with their filmmaking and the way it's kind of kind of lets itself play itself out and I, I really admire that because that's kind of what i want from storytelling i want you to kind of tell me a story from your point of view i'm not interested in you know the lighthouse keeper story itself that story's been told a thousand times i want to be told the lighthouse keeper story from robert egger's point of view and that's what i got here and i mm-hmm. i think that that's the important thing it's you know it's it's what we want to see you know it's like you know when i when i watch a lighthouse movie from bruno Mattei, sure i would but 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 I can tell you it would be completely different than this, and completely different than uh, you know Jodorowsky's uh, lighthouse movie or Scorsese's lighthouse movie, and that's what you want from filmmakers. You don't want that. I don't think you want the same thing over and over again. So you want different perspectives and different views, and uh, it's it's pretty impressive what uh, he did here. I like it more than The Witch. I like The Witch. Uh, you know, I know I said earlier, I said I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked a lot. I mean, I liked a lot. I wouldn't, I, you know, it's it's like eight territory for me. It's really good. Um, yeah. But it, it, I think this one shows a more assured and confident filmmaker um, than that did. Um, because, you know, he's dealing with, a, you know, he's dealing with landscape here too, but mostly he's dealing with tight spaces and uh, directing performances. And even though the visuals are great, uh, you really got to get buy-in from your two actors here. If you don't get 100% buy-in on a story like this and what he asked these actors to do, 
uh, this movie doesn't work at all. Well, I think Correct. yeah, and I think that that's the same thing that you had in The Witch as well. Yeah, uh, well, you know, yeah. you because you, you, yeah, because <clears throat> you you put people out in the wilderness and you know you're completely isolating them from. Let's put it this way: these movies, these two movies together, I think are are completely looking at. You know what happens to people? Like I said before, in isolation, when they're 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 you know they have nothing. There is no civilization, quote unquote, yeah. uh, to tether them to. So what's going to happen to them is is uh, basically what these movies amount to. Yeah. Uh, and the way that they look at it is just through this sort of bizarre, almost um, uh, pulp fictiony kind of a, a lens, like a weird fiction uh, lens, mm-hmm. uh, where where things can kind of go in and out or, or be multiple things and, and get into these sort of, um, oddball mythologies, um, that, uh, that they, they may even be making up in their own heads, but right. Right. And then, and then that comes down to the human condition. You know, some people can handle isolation and some people can't, some people sure. think they can handle isolation and find out they can't. And some people don't think they can handle isolation and come to find that they're at their happiest when they're isolated. It's a, it's a weird human thing, you know, like me, I prefer isolation. I like it. Yeah. Like I, I like you know a chair, a book, and quiet. You know, I, I love that. That's my favorite thing in the world. Uh, you know, but also, I enjoy being with my kids, obviously, and I enjoy playing and doing things like that. But I'm not a social butterfly, so to speak. So if you if you told me that I had to go watch a lighthouse, I would probably be like, yeah, I could do that. But then when I get there, I don't know how I'm going to react to that because even though it seems like something I want, because in my daily life, I have to interact with people, and I don't like doing that. Uh, it seems like something I would like. You never know if that would drive me crazy or not. It might, you know, even though I think I want that. If I got it, it might be like, you know, having too much of a good thing. It might drive me right up the fucking wall, right up the lighthouse wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you never know, right? So, yeah, but I, I just think it's a really good uh, second film from Eggers, and I'm, and I'm really interested to see what he does next. Uh, he's got a film coming up called The Northman. It's a Viking revenge film. So here we go. Really? With the ref and uh, Defoe's in there. Defoe and he's got Kidman, uh, Nicole Kidman in there. Uh, well, who Who is great, I, I think. I, I don't. It's unfortunate she's kind of in the butt of a lot of jokes and bad plastic surgery, but she still can run with uh, most, man. She's a good actress. The, uh, the interesting thing is I think he's cast an unknown as the lead, which I think is probably pretty smart because mm, I don't yeah. know, you know. But I, you know, it's going to be hard to top that uh, Mads Mikkelsen Viking. Yeah, <laughs> that performance. <laughs> My second favorite one, I. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, first one is Todd's Turtle Dick. The. Uh, yes, precisely. <laughs> all right, let's get into make or breaks. MVTs. What you got, Will? Oh man, tough one, baby. Eh, make or break. I really struggle with the make or break on this. I really Jeez. do. I am going to go. This is going to sound kind of weird, but not weird, but maybe, I don't know. I'm going to go with, you know, that shot when they both first get there and they both just look at the camera and it's just a still shot for like four seconds. Yeah. Yeah. They're watching. I, I love that. I think and they're watching some, the boat leave. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. So they're looking at the camera and it's one of the few moments when, well, when not, not the only one, but there's, it's one of the few moments where there's a stillness because even though they're solitary, they're rarely still. Yeah. There, there was, there's rarely tranquility, mm, mm. right? There's a restlessness and an anxiousness and a feverish state throughout this film. So that that's that shot. When you said about Kubrick doing this, that's yeah. a very kind of Kubrick that is. statement of intent shot. Like it just, yeah. 
It's a, it's well, it's the, way, I, it's the way it cuts to it and the way it goes yeah, away from it. It's very that's Kubrickian right. in that very way. Very Kubrickian. Yeah. And and it's 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 I don't want to say he's dick swinging, but he's dick swinging in the best possible sense for me where it's like, okay, we're yeah. in the hands of someone capable yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. That shot just grabbed me by the collar, gave me a kiss, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Uh, MVT. I'm, I'm going to go outside the box, even though I want to say my real answer is everyone involved with the production. What a punishing shoot. Kudos to you all. But I'm going to go with the faces of the two leads. I think just the way they're illuminated, the way they're ex- they express complete spectrum of emotion the way they buy in as as people into these roles and fully invest everything they have into them it's it's tremendous and it it really pays off on screen and my son just walked in with a crate mask in his underwear nice um and my my score is an 8.75 i think this is a tremendous film I knew I, I, it was what I wanted it to be completely, yeah. and it really was fantastic on a second viewing. Nice, Todd. What you got? Well, I got make or break. Um, I think that since you pretty much know what you're in for from Jump Street, I'm going to go with the ending. Um, it's uh, both expected and unexpected, and yeah, it fits yeah. the film, I think, to a T. Uh, MVT, I, yeah, I'm going with Eggers. I think that the performances are exemplary, but I, I mean, realistically, from my perspective, it's his vision guiding this thing. Yeah. Um, and he is, it's really his, uh, his mission statement, his, you know, everything about this is, is Eggers, mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, shot through the, the lens of, uh, of the two performances shot as through well as the, the lens. Uh, yeah. And you're to blame. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and uh, of course, Blasky's uh, cinematography and score for oh, me is yeah. an eight out of ten. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean this thing is is really, really, really solid. Yeah. Uh, damn good stuff. Definitely worth a, a rewatch. Although I don't know how often you'd want to put it on rotation uh, because it yeah. is, you know, like I said, it is kind of. It takes a, a bit of a. It takes a. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, attention! It needs your attention. Yeah, it it does. It demands it almost yeah. for every frame to really, I think, get the full impact. Yes. Right. Yeah, you, right. you can't be on your phone. You're going to just completely tune out. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I make a break. I'm going to go with. Uh, I like the scene. It's a small thing, but I like the scene where Pattinson is denied entrance into the lighthouse. Oh yeah, there's so many good moments in this. That's a yeah. great one though. And he's kind of talked down to, and he's kind of, you know, it, there's this, because the rest of the film, you just feel like he, he wants to get up there. You know, he looks up at it kind of wantingly, and and he just wants to get up there and figure out what the hell Defoe's got going on. At one point, he sees Defoe up there kind of against the glass, and he's confused and yet enticed and kind of, you know, mesmerized, to go back to that word, mesmeric. Um uh, So, you know, it, I found that interesting. It's a little moment, but it's it's a really good little moment. Uh, my MVT is Eggers as well. I mean, I, the performances are amazing. You can give it to Defoe. You can give it to Pattinson. The cinematography is amazing. I agree. Eggers' uh, baby, though. Yeah, Eggers has got to bring it all together, and uh, he does a good job. I don't love this aspect ratio. That's uh, not my favorite. Uh, it's fine in a dark room because you can never really tell, right? But when you're watching, if you watch this during the day, it can be a bit. Uh, you know, Kubrick used these kind of aspect ratios and stuff too. I, I never really loved the kind of square box 
kind of look. You know, when I go back and look at a silent film, sometimes it can be a bit distracting. I guess because I want, I guess there's some part of me that wants the letterbox all the time, that wants the big, sure. you know, the big wide open vistas and stuff. But this one really works. I mean, he does a really good job of making it the feel setting right. Yeah, claustrophobic and yeah, and yet wide open. It feels it feels big and small, uh, like turtle things. And uh, <laughs> my score for this, I'm I'm way up there on you guys on this one. I'm uh, I'm a nine out of ten on this one. I think it's one of the best yeah, films of the year. Stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly interesting in that way that it can only be, and uh, it's unique and and it was a great experience. And I've watched it twice and. I would watch it again, but I agree it's not it's not something I would, uh, you know, well, I, pr- I probably wouldn't say, hey, guys, come on, oh, hey, you know, maybe you two, but obviously most people I would say, come on over, man, I got a hell of a movie, let's watch The Lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it'd make you more uncomfortable than it would make you uh, entertained, I think. And, but I like the way it made me feel. So there is that. So I, I said 8.75, right? Yes. Okay, good, good. Yep. 8. He's got an 8, 8.75, and a 9. So. This film is well-liked. Well-regarded by the gents. That's right. Um, Anything above eight, we would highly recommend, I would say. Uh, All right, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and talk about the other, one of the other kind of up-and-comer golden boys, Ari Oster's Midsummer. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, a little satanic dance music for everybody this week. Good stuff. For those who don't know, Ghost, uh, satanic band. So it's always fun to hear those bands that are kind of poppy with their satanic stuff. I love I love Satan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our movies this week. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs> Sound like some character out of a, what's that? the bass and rankin cartoon or some shit yeah that's right one of the elves well, oh satan practicing the darker i want to be a dentist yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a noble profession as uh it is mm-hmm. it is he got fucking shamed for that one man yeah, he did, man. He did and guy. santa was a, a bit of an well we've said this before yeah. he was an asshole in that santa's a yeah he's a pure he's a puritan uh tyrant and don't even get me started on Rudolph's father. <laughs> yeah. Shit heel. Yeah. He's the Arlie Ermy of stop motion animation. <laughs> he is. <laughs> All right. Midsummer, 19, or 1999. Jesus, 2019. <laughs> That's a big difference between those two years. Uh, directed by Ari Esther. Uh, a couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival. 
what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly bizarre situation. So that's what I'll say because it's got some other things here. I don't want to give too much away. This is uh, our uh, second film from Ari Aster. I think it's his third film overall. I think he made some. Well, I think he had a short as well. But I think you know both of our directors this week, second films, you know, sophomore efforts after uh, buzzworthy debuts. Uh, there, you know, we can we can put them together in that in that sense, right? So, go ahead. We got that. I don't know if we said it in the opening. This is the A twenty four double bill this week too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A twenty four is doing a lot of taking a lot of risk right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, we you get studios like this every off. now. Yeah, you get studios like this every now and then. Remember Magnolia did that for a while, and mm-hmm. and then it was somebody else. I can't remember who else it was, but A twenty four has been the one I see quite a bit lately. Uh, I think Uncut Gems is A twenty four. Am I right? I believe it uh, is. Yeah, yeah uh, man. There was something else I watched recently that was A24, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But They, they are just, they, they got an, an eye, right? Yeah, they're like, uh, you know, like Blumhouse and some of these places. They're, uh, you know, they're just, they're, they're attempting things. They're trying things. And uh, right now, it seems like they can do no wrong. Um, I'm sure that will change, but, you know, it, mm-hmm. right, now, right now it's looking good. All right. Ooh, I hear the pitter-patter of little feet, and that isn't pitter-patter. That was a run. Oh, man. Uh, my daughter's one of the few people on. I admire anybody that can get out of bed and just hit a full sprint. And run. <laughs> Jesus. That's impressive. That's that, why we drink coffee, because yeah. of children that wake up and hit the ground running. <laughs> he just wakes up and goes, man. Bum, 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 bum. All right. Uh, Midsummer. Uh, who wants to take the lead on this? I don't care. I, I can if you guys want me to. It doesn't matter. Uh, I want to jump on this thing with both feet. All right. Uh, Ooh, I, I, I sense a, a slaying. I just, uh, <laughs> I, I sense a, <laughs> oh, man. Of, of, this ain't going to be a tongue bath, that's for sure. <laughs> so, of the three of us, I think, yeah, of the three of us, I believe Todd was the most disenchanted by Hereditary. Mm. I, I liked it well enough, didn't love it. I think Will liked yeah, it a little bit more here. than I did. Same here. Yeah. Um, I liked it well enough. Didn't love it, but yeah. I really like. It's going to be the same here. I like the back end of it a lot. I thought it was nice and interesting mm. and odd. I but, thought it fell apart. Yeah. Well, I, I think it does, but I think as the back end is, yeah, as as well, as its own piece, I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It, but Aster Aster, um, I think, is an interesting guy. Um, he he definitely has a technical skill and an eye. Uh, that I admire. Yes. Um, yeah. I like his approach. Uh, I think that the stories that he tells and the characters that he tells the stories about are ultimately, though, pretty uninteresting and or unlikable uh, to the point of to the point of being uncompelling uh, for me. I think that this movie certainly uh, is within that uh, within that range. Um, that being said, you know, I'll say this about that: the opening phone call of this scene. Or this uh, this movie, there's the opening phone call scene. I think it proves uh, what a talent Florence Pugh is, um, and she I was think a that's discovery for me. Yeah, right. I, I've seen her in a couple things now, and I really have. I, I'll tell you what, I've taken a huge shine to that woman. Yeah, I like uh, her a lot. She's a damn. She's a damn good actress. Young lady. I mean, she's yeah. only like 21. I, she, I, yeah. I like. I like her a lot as well. I'm going to step and, away for a second. I have a yeah. Go ahead. A situation I need to take care of. But you guys go okay. ahead. Uh, I think that Aster in this in this phone call scene is at least smart enough to just leave the camera on her. It was just a I long agree. shot of her going through this this range of emotions, uh, and it it it's one of those moments that are few and far between in the film. I think where uh, where we're getting both 
um, a display of the talent on screen and off screen. You um, feel like they they can uh, meld together in a way that gives yeah. a good finished product for you as a viewer. Right, right, right. Uh, okay, you know, that's we, fair. We start things off with uh, a family uh, where there are clearly problems, um, mm-hmm. and a main character who clearly has emotional issues, and a boyfriend who's torn between the emotional stress uh, and whether he actually loves uh, the few character whose name is Danny. Um, so that's basically the, the push and pull that we get. So everything around, around the boyfriend's pals winds up being extremely awkward. Uh, and especially with the Will, Will Poulter character who I, uh, you oh, know, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing is supposed to be kind of funny, but is really just a dick. He um, is a dickhead and surprisingly one note as a character, because I felt like most of the characters had a little nuance, even if only by genre perspective, but he was just sure. a shithead. He, yeah, yeah. Uh, he has no real, real reason for existing. And, and like Sammy and I were, were talking about off, uh, off mic, um, you know, his, his only real reason for existing seems to be to be an asshole to like piss on the the tree and all this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. um, he really just, you know, but but this is this seems to be Astor's wheelhouse. Is you know, he does this sort of cinema of discomfort, um, please, and that's please, also please. that's. Yeah, and this is also where he seems to be getting his pacing from. Uh, he just lets these long, awkward scenes unspool until it's time for some violence. Uh, and I get the reasoning, uh, but rarely does this give us any insight into any of the people uh, in his films, and it doesn't really build any real mood uh, like the heavily moody music wants it to. Uh, and this thing has a heavy mood music uh, going on throughout it. Um, we get an acid trip scene which I don't think really did much of anything other than give uh, Pew another excuse to freak out uh, and give Aster an excuse to get some CG effects in there. Um, and, you know, they, they sure do love their drugs in this little commune that they, that oh they wind God. up going off to. Uh, we do see it again later on. Um, and this is one of the things that, you know, we don't really ever get, well, I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, I'll get to it when I get when we get there. But we we enter the village, right? At the village, uh, if the giant sun entrance gate doesn't tip you that something's odd, um, the German expressionist barn should, uh, as well as the bear yeah. in the cage. Like we go in and there's this. There's this, it looks like I'm well. It looks like a barn, uh, but it's just totally like a 45 degree angle going from like the ground up uh, structure that just looks way off. Um, and that really kind of lets you know that you're kind of in, uh, in La La Land here. It's almost like a, it's almost like a Jonestown, Jonestowny sort of, um, realm that we kind of, uh, walk into. Yeah. Doesn't um, someone reference Jim Jones in this or Koresh they? or some cult lead? I, I felt they like I, I, they may have. I, I, maybe they did, or maybe I was well, just thinking like, yeah. I'm coming back into this conversation, but I was thinking to myself, there's, I, I don't know if you guys were talking about this or not, but there's that one scene where the camera goes upside down, right? Yeah, yeah. And well, that, that's what—that's the transition from the world we live in to this yeah. next world, right? The funky town. town. Yeah, funky town. That's right. And Sammy, we already—we already touched on your favorite, uh, the Will Poulter character. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he's—he is. Uh, is anything you'd care to, very, to add in here? Well, no. Very I'll, rarely I'll have I, I don't. Very rarely. Yeah. Oh, very. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Very rarely. 
do characters irritate me because I understand that you got to have things in a movie to kind of move things along. But I feel bad for the Will Poulter. He's just an he's just an asshole to be an asshole. It's 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 a yeah. There's no rhyme or reason to any of his behavior except that he's just a jerk. It's yeah. just it's just a jerk. Well, that's 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 unfortunately for me is that that's almost every character in the fucking movie. Yeah, except for the lead. They're, they're assholes just to be assholes so that yeah. we can kill them off in in really gruesome ways and we yeah. don't feel bad about them. Except for Florence Pugh, I agree. Most of the characters are very right, one dimensional. Right. Well, well, even she, and even she's only given like a dimension and a half. I, I, think. I, f- I feel like Poulter is obviously very one note, and I don't, I don't feel it's any fault of his. This is the material he was given. I've seen Poulter in a few other things, and he was oh, fine. Yeah. I like him. I like he's him. He's fine in the box he's in here, but, but it's a shitty, it's a shitty, um, it's a shitty role, and it's yeah, very um, one note, and it just. You can, needless, you can like, say the youth and arrogance play a part here and that the one yes. note of the characters, yes. but I don't know. It, it was hard for me to kind of get behind some of the characters. Her boyfriend, I guess, Jack Rayner, that, that, that character, mm-hmm. it was really hard to identify with him in any way because in some ways he was even more of a jerk than the well, Poulter now, character. Well, I've, I've, I've actually spoken with people who, who you know, connected with this movie because of you know, uh, connect them with the, with that character mm. because they, you know, cause this is, this is that sort of, that sort of thing that we talk about with the, you, you bring in your own personal baggage yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, to stuff. And if you've been in that situation where you're with somebody who's clearly unstable and you're like, well, I don't really want to be here. I'm trying to get out of this, but at the same time, I don't want to be a douchebag, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, understood. But you know, I, I I don't I don't know. I, there's something. It's it's not just that situation. It's also the situation with his quote unquote friend that yeah. all of a sudden he wants to take credit for this dissertation yeah. and everything yeah, else. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I understand that he's in a situation where he wants to break free but can't because he feels bad for the character. But he also, to me, he lacks any support or empathy because he's also willing to step on somebody's throat to get where he needs to be. Well, all of them are. They're ugly American characters, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically ugly um, American characters. Well, both of Astor's yeah, films. Yeah, they are. Both of his films, right? And you may have said this while I was away, and I apologize. I had to go take care of a situation. But, uh, you know, both of his films are dealing with grief. Oh, and they are. They are. Yeah. yeah. They are. They just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 feel, I feel nothing uh, watching both of these movies. Mm. I feel nothing. Mm. I feel no connection. I feel no revelation. I feel no... Uh, no, nothing the, uh, the in first, regards to, the to first, how they, they're yeah, the portraying these half, things, which, which I, it should not be the case. Yeah, the first half of Hereditary, I felt quite a bit. I liked the the brother character and the way he treated the sister and then what transpires there, and I felt... Which you know, was pretty shocking, going yeah, in cold. Yeah, and Tony mm-hmm. Collette, I really felt for her character, and... Yes, and the Gabriel Byrne character is a little bit like the Jack Rayner character here, not 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 as a passive observer in yeah. some ways. So I mean, I, I think he can handle emotion and things, but I don't I, I don't know. I I think he handled that. I got, I got behind those characters a little bit more in the first film. This one, the only character I really felt any thing towards is the Florence Pugh character. That's for me. I mean, that, right? I, I don't know. I don't I don't know how you guys felt, but that's to me the only one I could really identify with in any way shape or form was her and they really but the, i mean in in fairness they really do give her the meat right i mean she's she's the, they they do give her the meat yeah, yeah she's the focus of the of the film and 
Right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, okay. So, okay, I'll skip ahead a little bit and get and get into that kind of. Uh, for me, I mean, the movie's really, really obvious. Uh, so most of the 150 minute runtime yeah. uh, is yeah. just waiting for the film to admit what it's up to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And for me, you know, getting to the the, the Pew character, uh, it isn't really helped any um, by the fact that the only sympathetic character uh, is emotionally disturbed and passive aggressive with her friends and her boyfriend. Yeah. She is. Um, she is. So, so, you know, you're kind of like, you can't really, you can't get, get your way in here. And this is also part of the point of the movie. Um, as the, the characters get kind of more and more enamored of this, this commune and its ways for whatever the reason, uh, and the trans, uh, the transgressions of their, their, you know, nebulous, uh, unspoken ways is frowned upon. Um, and it's that sort of thing that you get with this this character and her just kind of being like, you know, out of all of them, she would fit in the most, right? Because the others are, are clearly uh, don't care about it at all. And, and not at it, all. none of this has helped anybody, this, this religion or whatever it is, um, being completely the rules. There, there are no rules. It's just weird shit. For the sake of weird shit, we're not meant to, you know. The the film plays this idea of paganism, which, you know, even taking it apart from comparisons to Judeo-Christian cultures, uh, always has a sinister quality to it, right? Right. Um, yeah. So these things, you know, they, they tend to be bathed in blood and sex and cultural beliefs, which most people simply can't accept. Right. Uh, and this culture's rituals are certainly dealing with things we've debated and rejected in our society, like euthanasia. Uh, for instance, uh, it's just done really lo-fi and with a, a certain cold observation. Like we're never given, we're never given the rules. We're never given because the, because the rules aren't important, uh, and because the rules aren't important to to if we're if the rules aren't important enough for us to know them, then they mean nothing. All this stuff is is a means to an end, so that we can go from um, from A to B and we can get rid of these asshole characters that we've brought into this world, which is, is kind of sad because no, go ahead, please. No, no, no. I'm not going to interrupt. Go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in once you finish this point. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of diverging here, so please oh, jump in. I was going to say, which really, uh, from your perspective, and I wouldn't say I, I completely disagree with it, uh, is that is really just to bear witness to the ritual shock well yeah that shock is really is really what it boils down to yeah yeah no no uh, i got you and i'm i'm, I'm mostly with you well okay, it, so- and it feels too like if i can chime in real quick it feels yeah, too yeah. almost like it's almost like a cinematic thing it's like an excuse to jump from one shocking set piece to another well but it is but there's, there's no yeah. there's nothing there's no motivation there's yeah. no mo- motivation for anything uh, it's it's just completely is is things. I mean, this is I've seen slasher movies that had more motivation to them than a lot of this movie does. Mm. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm not you know I, I'm not getting digging into the folkloric background and all of that crap. Uh, but you know, <laughs> if I if you just sit down and want to watch a horror movie, I guess this is as, as gory as any. Um, for what that's worth, but it also is completely unfrightening. Uh, it's it's uninteresting yeah. in that I, aspect. Yeah, I don't, is I don't know if it's frightening as much as it's no. more just like I, like it's I pathetic. think moments of shock is it's, really well. It's it's that and it's these moments unsettling of moments. Yeah, unsettling. Yeah, moments, well, that's like moments, I said. It's yeah. it's Ari. It's uh, Ari Aster seems to be want to work in this in this cinema of discomfort, this cinema of, yeah. of awkwardness. Yeah. 
where he, he allows these really awkward people to be really awkwardly shitty to each other until it's time to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is interesting yeah. in the movie, and I, and I, I, I'm, I don't know how um, it, that doesn't really get played up or at least uh, really explored all that much is uh, the, the idea of art because you get stuff like this, the pube magic tapestry uh, yeah. that we're shown yeah. you know, in the film. And art, I think, certainly plays a large part here, as it does in many mm-hmm. folk horror movies. Uh, and it is as foreboding as it ever could be in this one, of course. Yeah, uh, and of course, the, uh, the re- religions, you know, the world over have art containing violence. Yeah. Uh, yes. but in this and films like it, that, that, that violence tends to be overtly ritualistic. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like, it's almost like the, the, we're being shown this just so we can see some of the other shit that is either happening in the background or could be happening or is where this stuff is coming from but we're still not giving you any real real uh, reason for it we're not giving you any context for any of this stuff to be happening yeah um which you know kind of plays into the idea of oracles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh which you know i like the idea of oracles and uh you know that plays into everything else and i like the what they did with the with that in this one yeah uh the way that they did but again it's one of those things where it's it's they bring this up they state it and then they do nothing with it other than turn it into this violent mutant freak uh this cliche in, yeah yeah that that just that just goes nowhere does nothing but gives us a moment uh, a single moment which is actually one of the better moments in the movie i yeah, think yeah um to uh, to kind of to kind of put it out there so you know technically i think the film is outstanding um it looks fantastic agree. uh it's very well edited aside from it being two and a half fucking hours long needlessly yeah. long i would yeah. say oh, and, and, and my understanding is there's a director's cut which is even longer which i i don't know that i could sit through yeah um to be perfectly honest you know but uh, despite the technical aspects which i think are, are are beautiful uh i think that as with hereditary i think what good elements this has uh, are overshadowed by aster's sort of uh self-serious semi-pedantic kind of uh plodding along uh, and as with Hereditary, I'm left thinking at the end of this thing, you know, what was the point? Mm. Uh, I wasn't scared. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't disturbed. There was nothing really unexpected or revelatory. Uh, and it's moderately entertaining, uh, which is, you know, the exact same reaction I had uh, with Hereditary. Mm. Uh, I'm sure there are people who get a lot more out of this than I did. More power to them. Yeah. Uh, I admire Astor's eagerness to do more unconventional things in the genre. But I mean, ultimately, I, I finished this thing as I started it, feeling totally unconnected. Like we get this, there's a flashback at, at some point to um, the Pew's character, the Pew character's uh, background, like why she's why she's gone along ostensibly uh, with this uh, this group of jerks in the first place. We get this shock sort of flashback. Uh, to a scene or to a situation, uh, but it, it means nothing. I mean, the only reason that it's there is to give us this little shock moment, mm. the same way that her whole entire background in the movie seems to be nothing more than to give us a shock moment and to motivate her to, to want to leave town for a little bit. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. I, I never ever felt that there was anything deeper going on with this tragedy in her life. Mm. Uh, than just to be um, a, 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 a narrative device, sort of, mm. uh, to uh, to get her uh, out of the country. Um, 
and like I said, I mean, I just, I, uh, she's the best thing in the movie, uh, acting wise, certainly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, there's, there's nothing here. There's nothing, nothing. It's, I, I felt nothing watching the damn thing. Yeah. Nothing. No, yeah. Uh, aside from, aside from admiring the gore, admiring the technical aspects, uh, you learn nothing about the co- the commune. Maybe you're not supposed to. Uh, I'm assuming since the there's absolutely no time given to it. No, uh, I don't think you learn anything. But, uh, from aside the, from, from aside from aside from love, aside from love and drugs. Um, <laughs> yeah, mushrooms and and uh, and having these weird, you know, nat- uh, let's call them, uh, you know, earthy uh, pagan rituals. Uh, pagan for one of a better term uh because we never actually told if there's a god uh, at all in this or if it's just nature that they're worshiping in order to to get another uh another Good harvest I, yeah yeah but i mean that's the thing that's the thing here is you know obviously the obvious comparison is to the wicker man right of course yeah, yeah. and the thing about the wicker man is that the wicker man at least was kind of interested in uh comparing and looking at these religious aspects between these two cultures and it was a lead up to the ending uh that we're getting whereas this movie is just kind of a series of odd rituals with uh with sacrifices in them or whatever uh in order to you know to kind of blood magic uh, the next harvest maybe but we're not really actually sure. But yeah. what the hell? We're putting it in there anyway. The most shocking, well, think, most shocking think, thing about the Wicker Man is, you know, it builds up to that moment of Christopher Lee singing and dancing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that one gives us really more of a diametrically opposed kind of spiritual center and how they come into direct contact with, against, with each other. Whereas this is apathetic youth or just ugly American youth meets this, the Swedish... Hippie commie. I don't know. I don't want to. But, I don't want to be too. My point, is, my point is, there's no point. My point is that with the with the Wicker Man, there was at least there was at least something driving. Yeah. Underneath this this thing that it was looking at in some sort of a way before it gives you the big reveal. Whereas this just kind of plods along with these, you know, I, I keep using the word, but they're jerks. Uh, who you know we're just lining up for the kill. Okay, now these people are going to do this. Oh well, now look at here's some gore. Okay, the gore is great, and the the you know the uh, the effects work is great, and the film looks fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, and none of these rituals that we spend so much fucking time on mean anything, do anything, are explained in any way, shape, or form, which gives us any sort of context into how we're supposed to relate this to these characters. Uh, that you can say that it's about grief, and I think that it is in a way, but at the same time, we're given no real facility uh, to work it out with the characters. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, maybe that's the point. Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm being really cynical about the whole thing. Uh, maybe I didn't want to like this. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, nah, I doubt it because I did want to. I was kind of looking forward to to seeing it. Although Aster, I mean. Uh, this is kind of two bunts for him. For two me. bunts, all right? Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think the, the film lover in you, right? You know, at least you know you got the admiration of technique out of it. Sure. So there's at least that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can jump in here. I'll, I'll say yeah, that it's one of the most competently shot movies I've seen in some time, as far as the composition of shots go. <laughs> I mean, it's gorgeous. It really is. But I couldn't help but feel when they walk through that kind of arc coming through that kind of entrance 
I couldn't help but feel with the way he shot everything that it felt like, you know, when you go to an amusement park and when you get that map. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you look at that map and you say, okay, I'm here. Over there is the triangular sunshine house. We have no idea yep. what that is. Over here yep. is this house. Over there is a bear well, it's like in a the cage. Candyland board. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Candyland board. Yeah. You basically. get this sense of that uh, and you think to yourself, even immediately, and I'm not downplaying the movie. I, I liked it. I certainly didn't love it. But you get that feeling that, okay, he's showing us all this stuff, so all this stuff is now going to play out. And and you, you just get this feeling that, you know, he, he's leading you down this path, and it's a little clunky. Now, the shots, I love the shots. I love the way Aster does characters talking off screen, zooms out slow, and they're right there, or zooms in slow. I mean, I love that kind of stuff. I always mm-hmm. will, always have. Some of the tracking shots are amazing. They go behind tapestries. I don't know if there's cuts there. It doesn't look like there is. These are long shots in this. Moments of silence, I think, that work in the movie. And and production design, which, as, as Todd said as well, you know, there's illustrations here because of pagan rituals or whatnot or whatever religion this is or whatever festival this is, whatever. But, you know, the production design itself, there's something very simplistic and kind of pretty about it. It's almost Jodorowskian. There's... Some moments there, especially with that triangular house off in the distance. It very looks it looks very Jodo to me. It looks very German expressionist. Yeah, yeah. There's yes, that. It does, yeah. And and, and and some of the aspects of the film I enjoyed. I, I think that, you know, by playing the only giving you so much card, he he plays it too far. He he like he doesn't give you anything. He he like, okay, here's a little bit of mystery about this tea we're gonna drink, but we're not gonna tell you everything about it. Here's a little well, what's bit. What's interesting? What's interesting is if you if you compare these two movies, both of them are 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 that way. Yeah, they but are. But at the same time, you get more out of the lighthouse than you do out of uh, Midsummer. Sure, sure. There is more information delivered mm-hmm. in this enigmatic way yeah. in the lighthouse than it is in Midsummer. Where, like I said, I mean, it just feels like, and this is like I said, the same complaint I had about Hereditary. Is, you know, you're you're given this stuff. But you're given no context for it. It's just like, oh, here's some shit. Here, go run. Yeah, and oh, that's yeah. the way I felt about it. Well, I mean, I, like, I, what, then what does it matter to me? Then it means yeah. nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I felt a lot of that too. I mean, I really did. I mean, I feel like, you know, he's trying to keep you uneasy the whole time, similar to Hereditary. I think honestly, in Hereditary, he did a little bit better job of keeping the uneasiness there, and I think a lot of that falls down on Tony Collette's performance, which you know, yeah. Well, that was the best thing in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, oh, she's it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive, and she really goes all out. And and Florence Pugh, I mean, she really does. She goes all out in this. She, there's some ugly moments for her of, uh, you know, crying and stuff, and and right. having anxiety, and maybe some of these PTSD type moments. Uh, you know, it's it's not a glorious performance. It's not a glorious role. It's not a dress her up and look how pretty no. Florence Pugh is, uh, because she is an attractive girl. It's not. But it, it's it's a weird kind of earthy performance from her. The thing, some of the drawbacks to me is once they start dousing these characters with chemicals, uh, natural or not natural, the movie gets, I started to feel like the characters. <laughs> Does that make sense? I feel like, you yeah, know, Jack Rayner yeah. in the bear suit. I'm just sitting there like, okay, what are you going to do to me, Ari? You know what? Do you, you know what are you going to do to me next? You know you've shocked me a couple of times. I got to admit, the, you know the scene with the two older characters in the rock. That scene that worked for me in Spades. I love that scene. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's effective. It's shocking. It works. You know what's going to happen. Uh, you kind of see it. You know if you've seen a movie before, you kind of know what's going to take place. The way he decides to 
become incredibly graphic with it was kind of a shock. Uh, but at the same time, it worked, and I think it worked against the pew's reaction to things. But everything after that for me felt like uh, I'm going to try to one-up what I did before. And I'm not saying that's what he did, but it just felt that way. It felt that way to you. Yeah, it felt like the, now the amusement park. You know, you've rode the, you've rode the early ride. You've kind of broken in for the day. And this goes back to my map analogy, uh, which is, you know, very poignant. Uh, the, now, you gotta, now you're moving on to the bigger rides. So, it, it, for, for lack of a better word, some work, some don't. The sex scene worked for me. I found yeah. it very interesting. Aster's got a I very, very erotic. Yeah, well, I did. Well, especially the <laughs> especially the woman on the far right. But the uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> the one with the turtle. <laughs> yeah, the one with the turtle coming out of the back end. The, uh, yeah. the, the, the the I like the way he he's handled nudity so far in his films. I know that sounds kind of like a weird thing to say, but he doesn't just shoot the, you know, he doesn't do the the Hollywood thing of beautiful bodies that much. Yeah. I mean, these are real people. And I've always, I always like when nudity is handled with real people uh, because, you know, we come in all shapes and sizes. We all don't look like Nicole Kidman or Tom Cruise, for Christ's sake. We, you know, a lot of us, you know, got a paunch or, you know, a big ass or, a, you know, our Speak feet are too yourself, big. Sir. Yeah. And, you know, or, you know, it's just whatever. But I, I admire that, you know, we see older and younger and, and all that stuff. Same. And the sex scene is, is weirdly, it's, it's kind of sexy, but it's also very awkward. Uh, very weird, especially when she starts singing to the Jack Rainer and the, the girl. It, yeah, that's next level. It, it, it is awkward and it's it, it's uncomfortable, which I think a lot of his he deals it. That's one of the things he likes to deal in is yeah uncomfortable. But right? he, but he doesn't he doesn't have the abilities. I think yet. I'm not saying he won't. He he may, but I don't think he handles them like Eggers does like Eggers handles handles the and peel for that matters considering the two film two filmmakers we talked about outside of Aster you know of the three I think Aster's got more work to do I think peel is is already mostly there and I think Eggers is showing a very firm mature hand at a very very quick very quickly like you know I mean uh, you know of the three you know I guess if you had to pick a favorite I guess I'm liking Eggers I guess but but I'm, I'm just saying Aster still feels like he's kind of trying to figure it out, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You're right. You know, that's fine. He, he, yeah, he feels like an intellectual who maybe hasn't lived enough to stick the landing with some of his stuff. And yeah. I don't mean that to sound reductive. I think he's tremendously talented. Yeah. But Well, yeah, but he's a little more observational than he is insightful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, yes. And, and I think that comes with living. Yeah. Right. Right. Insight right. comes from experience, whereas exactly. I know you're a little older, right? Different experience. Now, I was saying that, I will say that the camera techniques and the composition of shots here and everything else with Tremendous. DP, I mean, that's he's, he's got next-level ability there. Like that, yeah. some of the stuff that they do with the camera in this is amazing, and it is truly impressive. He's got a ways to go with his storytelling, no doubt. And uh, it did feel like that. It did feel like some of the characters just exist, almost like in that slasher way, uh, even though I do agree with Todd, what he said, sometimes slasher, I mean, some of the slasher characters I've seen over the past, they, some of them have more interesting uh, aspects to them than some of these characters do. Because some of these characters are very one-dimensional. Mostly the Poulter character for me, and again, I like Will Poulter. I just think that his character is there to be this voice of antagonism. And it, it's, it, it's, at a, it's at a level that even the audience, even you as the audience member hates him. And it, yes. 
I like I don't feel sorry for him at all. And I that's a that's that to me that's a that's a terrible place to be, especially with what ends up taking place. Well, and especially considering, I think, the critical acclaim that we heap on Aster to have a character that, that that's that ugly in one note that mm-hmm. really is so stock to mm-hmm. the the barest of and laziest of of, of horror films. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about some of the visuals. I like the camera work. Uh, like I said, uh, I like the idea of grass on skin. That grossed me mm-hmm. out to no end. By the way, uh, the it first, does grow straight to no Oh my god! That first time she looks down at her hand, she sees grass growing on her hand. That oh was, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that bothered me so much. <laughs> like I don't know why, yeah. but it just does. I I'm a real kind of tactile. Well, I'm real kind of phobic about skin disorders. Like they make me cringe. Like I think it's why Cronenberg kind of gets under my skin so much, for lack of a better term, because you know to see a disorder on the outside is. I don't know. There's something bothersome about that, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not mocking it or knocking it or anything. No, like that. I'm not saying. being callous or insensitive. It, it's unsettling to you. Op- yeah, open sores gross me out. Okay, yeah. so I mean, there's that. So, uh, the idea of grass growing on skin is, it's pretty horrific to me, uh, uh, barring uh, Stephen King and Creepshow, but the, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, oh man, that meteor, uh, you lunkhead, <laughs> you lunkhead. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, the the kind of uh, the other things that kind of made me uneasy was the stillness. I like the stillness of the characters, uh, the the commune, so to speak. I guess I like the stillness of them and the kind of rituals of. The, I like that stuff. I do wish there was more explanation. I tell you what really took me out of this movie more than anything, though, is the anthropological investigation aspects of it. Yeah. Okay. I, I really didn't need any of that. No, there was no point to it. Zero. Uh, it's, and then, and I, I think that, you know, 20 minutes of the movie is that stuff. Yep. And it feels like all that stuff can come out. Like, I mean, uh, I, I'd rather, I'd rather just, you don't explain anything to me at all. than try to explain it to me through these characters that are talking about, Anthropology and blah blah blah. Like, do do we need to have them narrate to the audience? Like, is that something where that's what like, it feels like, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's what we, it feels we like they that. were doing. No, we don't need that. I don't think we need that. I mean, I think uh, I think the whole film can play through Pew's face, and oh, yeah. and, and I think at its strongest moments, Aster's smart enough, like he was with Colette in Hereditary. At its strongest moments, he's letting the story be told through her face mm-hmm. and her performance. And Not enough. Yeah, not enough. And it's similar to Hereditary to me. It wasn't enough. But there's something there. So, I, I mean, I think Aster's got a bright future. I really do. I just don't think he's quite there yet. Right, I, th- right. I think, you know, you know, people... I, I think, unfor- unfairly to him, he's been heaped with a ton of praise. Um, Hereditary was called the scariest movie ever made. Obviously. Uh, by critics. and uh, And I was like, well, I mean, you know... Uh, first of all, fear like comedy and everything else is subjective. Um, so it didn't scare me that yeah, badly. Totally. But uh, okay, it's for some it might be the scariest movie ever made. Certain aspects of it for me as a parent were some of the scariest stuff I ever saw. Sure, um, but I think he knows how to handle psychological stuff with his characters, and he knows how to do that. I just don't think he's perfected it quite yet, and. Even to a point to where 
like he's he's getting in his own way. Um, you know, his, yeah, that, that's what this film feels like. This film feels like a lot of pretty, uh, really interesting type moments and ideas, but he doesn't know what to do with them. Like he's, it's like he's got he's got all the tools and all the ability and all the time in the world to make this work. Well, I think that I think that he, in that in that respect, he, he kind of threw it out there and with the thinking that I don't want to be cliche about this, so I'm not going to say anything at all. Mm. Mm. And I think rather than being enigmatic, it just is really flat. It came off as problematic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and and then like you said, Todd, I think him saying Astor is a pedantic filmmaker is an accurate statement. Yes. I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I like. I, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. And I admire. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, it's not one I would rewatch very often. Uh, it it's one that. Well, I mean, I don't even know if I'd rewatch it at all. I mean, I, I guess I would probably watch it again at some point in my life. I mean. I would be interested to hear like a commentary track or something, or maybe something like that at some point. I'd be interested in that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I mean, I, I really think again, I really think that what's going on behind the camera and the storyboarding aspect. I mean, like this is one of the best made movies that I didn't fall in love with in some time. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think this movie is wonderfully crafted as far Agreed. as the way it's shot, the production design, the cinematography, the composition of shots, all that stuff is. Is A plus A twenty four plus, but uh, the story itself is is like this bag of bones around it, and it's I think it's supposed to be the other way around. Like you got to have some meat to your story, and then your filmmaking can be a little bit more bag of bones, and you can throw some stuff on top of it. But you know, it feels like it feels like you know he's he's got the craft aspects down. He just doesn't have the story part yet, uh, and I'm I'm sure that that's kind of what Todd's saying as well. Like he's got the craft. He just don't have, you know, he's got the Mac. He just doesn't have the cheese. You know what I'm saying? Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So. Oh, that's fair. But, 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 but in saying that, I I will say, you know, I was, I was still impressed with it. I think I like Hereditary more, but I was impressed with it. I I know I like, I know I liked Hereditary more, as a matter of fact. Of the two, I like this one more. Okay. All right. Makes sense. What do you think, Will? I, I think you both bring up a lot of great points. I think I probably like it a little more than both of you. Um, but I agree with everything you guys have said. I think that he's a filmmaker who is very talented from a craft perspective, from a technical perspective. There's a lot to admire. And as you had said, Sammy, just now, I can't think of too many films that are this well crafted that beyond the craft of the film left me a little bit lukewarm. Like if I take away the craft and I, and then this is sort of a, a um, an average crafted film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would I still hold it in in high regard uh, right and yeah. maybe that's where he's got to work with someone from a script or an editing or some other person because I do think, feel like the film's too needlessly long as well yeah I'm okay with two and a half hours but as you said Todd the lighthouse touches on a zillion a galaxy of things philosophically right. yeah, yeah, yeah. in in an hour and 40 almost minutes. an hour or less yeah right yeah yeah um, yeah, you get so, a 30-minute difference between the two movies, 30 to 40 minutes. So. Yeah, and there's something to be said for having enough faith in your audience to allow them to chew on things the way they see fit. And it, it can be a film of many colors to, to you know, every film to every – not every film to everyone, but it can be different things to different people. Whereas this – and I have to wonder, too, how much studio interference was there for to, to pen uh, Aster in a little bit because they were expecting – 
a bit more box office boffle, let's face it, well, than they were going to get from Lighthouse. There is that, but there's also you do get that aspect of this is the kind of this is kind of a second film curse in a way because there's moments like the scene where the two older characters walk out of the triangular house. We see yep. the we see the entire walk. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. it. I think it just cuts to change shots, but I think they do the entire walk on on screen. Uh, mm-hmm. By doing that, it tells you that he's a little, as we say, he's a little in love with his stuff. Yes, and it does. It does look gorgeous. I mean, we we I, I can't deny that. I mean, I understand being in love with it, but I don't know if we needed to see those two characters walk that far. <laughs> You know, and I agree, and I, and I don't. I don't want this to sound disparaging. I really don't. But I feel like Astro's almost like a boy genius in a way who hasn't had someone kind of sit him down and say, "Listen, they haven't told him no enough." And and again, I, I really don't. I'm almost reluctant to say that because I do think he's tremendously talented, and I think he's a f- fiercely intellectual and and has a passion for genre film. And I and I love that we have filmmakers mm-hmm. yeah. of this generation that yeah. are making genre film. Yeah, he's the youngest will, of the three we talked about. Oh yeah. yeah. But they're going to give us the craft. They're going to give us intellect. And whether we feel it's insightful or or brings as much to the table as it, it thinks it does, well, okay, sure, that's up for debate. That's a bit subjective. But yeah. I at least admire that there are filmmakers working in the genre realm like this, if nothing else. Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's a I think there is a masterpiece coming from Aster. I just don't think he's going there it's yet. It's in there. Yeah. It's in there for sure. Yeah. Um, Pavel Pogorazelski, I guess, is the filmmaker, the cinematographer, Polish. Comes from a long line of, of good Polish DOPs. But yeah, the film looks tremendous. I saw this, to be completely frank and transparent, I saw this at a pretty dark time. Um, uh, Teresa's aunt, my wife's aunt, oh, yeah. uh, had passed away very suddenly uh, the day, the morning prior to me watching this. Right. So I was coming at this from maybe a different headspace than I would have other way otherwise. Right, right. Uh, so full disclosure there. Pew, who was an unknown quantity to me for the most part, I saw the poster. I thought, mm, this woman's crying on the front. And is this going to be one of those films where they, <laughs> they're subjecting her to just, it's this theater of cruelty and she's just going to be put upon and it's going to yeah, be just yeah. miserable and shrieky. That's what I thought as well. I was good. That's what I thought I was in for. I really did. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We've seen that enough, but I felt like when I saw this one takeaway I will have is from a performance perspective, Pew is tremendous. Mm-hmm. I'll always, if I see your name in the credits, I'll always know I'm going to get a good performance at least until she's 20 years in and, you know, she unfortunately gets maybe pigeonholed, which I hope doesn't happen. But yeah, didn't she um, get nominated for an Oscar for Little Women? Didn't she get nominated? I feel like she did. Yeah, I feel like she did. And I'll, I really want to see that um, outside of her. I mean, the other people involved, of course. Um, but yeah, she's great. She's a revelation to this in this for me. And I think Astor, if nothing else, knows how to cast female leads that can carry the emotional weight of what he hopes they can convey to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing when they keep the camera on her face. Right. That's a tough opening scene. I mean, you really, we've seen actors get exposed really quickly in scenes like that in films where they're asked to carry less. Right. So oh, she does a marvelous job. She's marvelous in that moment. Yeah. And I got to say, that's probably the best. Like I said, I think that's probably the best decision that Astor made in the entire movie was just leaving the camera on her for that opening. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really good. And I, even, I think the way he closes the film as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is talk about mesmeric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, she really. I mean, her performance, the stuff she does with her face. I mean, it's 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 on the level of Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary. I mean, it really is. And at her age too, to be able to kind of plumb the depths of emotion. Yeah. I mean, she's not afraid. Know, she's yeah. not afraid to be. Oh well, for lack of a better word, she's not afraid to be ugly on screen. Uh, you know, I mean, because yeah, she, she makes exposed. Yeah, exposed. Yeah. I mean, she makes some really. I mean, these are some uncomfortable crying scenes. I mean, she grunts mm-hmm. and she growls, and it's like you know, it's like true grief in a way. It's you know, it's yeah, not, yeah, it's not absolutely, pretty. it is. Yeah, it's not pretty. You know, it's it's unfiltered, right? Yeah. It feels very unfiltered and raw. Yeah, it does. So she's she's asked to do been you know a lot of complex emotional footwork in her role, or at the very least she adds depth to some things emotionally that maybe with a lesser actress or actor wouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I appreciate that. The camera work, like you said, like we've been saying, is fantastic. That when the camera pulls back, I think you mentioned the same, when the camera pulls back to reveal the tragedy at the beginning of the film, I mean, it was awful for me to see. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is awful. Yeah, it's awful. And I, 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 I want to be clear. I, I don't mean that in the sense of um, it's it's shoddily handled. Like, it's what horror yeah. we see, like domestic horror. Yeah. Oh, and that 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 reveal... That punctuates that scene to me. It's gonna this movie. Those moments in the film's gonna stick with me. Mm. Just that image is just mm-hmm. it's very nightmarish yeah. for me. Um, what else do we got here? The score I think is. I don't know if you guys have talked about it much. I think it's appropriately sharp and shrill, without being intrusive or overbearing. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it works. I mean, well. I guess the only problem I have with it is I don't really remember it much. Like nothing really mm-hmm. stuck with me. Sure. Like the moments in Lighthouse stuck with me more. The brief amount of score that's in oh, that. Oh yeah, so yeah. It, no, it did. It did. And I, I, I just watched this yesterday or day before yesterday, and I'm uh, nothing, you know, music-wise or com- you know, composition-wise is really kind of sticking with me. I saw this a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I wouldn't say it's as as um, economically strong as yeah. Visually, visually, like hereditary. Visually, there's things in this that'll stick with me for some time. That's why. That's why I think Astor has a future. I think certainly he has a talent. I just don't think absolutely. You know, Ty calls them bunts. I would probably call them singles or doubles. Yeah, I'd like to say doubles near triples, maybe. But uh, Will Poulter, I should say, (laughs) when I was watching this, I can't help but think of Sid, the mean kid from the Toy Story series. (laughs) He looks like him in real life. (laughs) Sid, all grown up, man. Yeah, he does. Yeah, (laughs) he's really Sid. Uh, I do like that Astor is confident enough as a filmmaker to flip a lot of the imagery that we we know and associate with horror he turns it into the daylight he takes this on the surface lovable you know pagan or very sort of folkloric swedish commune and adds this sense of foreboding and dread and anxiety and i think some of that stuff works well for me and and the length i'm okay with from the perspective of if he's trying to convey anxiety in social settings and the grief and the mental stress that Pew's character has, and to kind of illustrate that 
sometimes people, even in tranquil or, or normal settings, have a sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop or that anxiety that comes with some people's time in public or in social settings. I, I, I did like that, whether it was intended or not. It, it worked well enough for me. Um, what else do we got? More camera work stuff we talked about. Uh, they said skull, which is a Swedish term. Yeah. Now, that I don't like hearing skull as a complete aside because that's what Minnesota Vikings fans say. I just I got to put that out there. Oh, they keep saying skull, skull. Oh, is that what they say? Yeah. Yeah, the Viking fans. <laughs> Uh, location scouting. I guess that makes I, sense, I, right? Viking culture. I guess. Viking. That, yeah, absolutely. I wonder how come uh, nobody's ever called that racist. Oh, I, I think. Oh, I know why. Because it's a comment on white culture. Skull, the old skull here, by. You're allowed to get away uh, with saying things if it's against white culture. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the film, in, in terms of the the production, the scouting, location scouting. I, I assume this was shot in Sweden, right? Like. Uh, I believe so. Uh, you know what? I never even looked. A lot of Swedish cast. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks very Swedish. Uh, that country does, look- does. It looks like a cover of an ABBA album or something. I'm it's looking, very beautiful. I'm looking now. Actually, it was shot in Budapest. Okay, well, still, you're in Europe, right? Yeah. Uh, Henrik Svensson, production design. I tip my hat to you. Uh, looks like he is Swedish. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous production. Uh, Actually, that's, that's his first film as a production designer. He did, works in the art department a lot, so yeah, uh, he very impressive. The film's very, very handsome. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like we're uh, shot in Budapest, Utah, and Brooklyn. So. Oh, really? Yeah, I could see the interiors and a lot of the stuff uh, in America, right? I'm um, there's a pretty brutal payoff for for the dummy death we talked about. Yeah, it really is. And it's uh, you know. He does the one take thing where it adds to the power of the moment mm-hmm. where when you cut, I mean, it's like you're pulling your punch a little bit. Right. So it, it adds that extra shock, which he's been good at it through his two films. I think he, he delivers these shocking moments of horror or violence. And I think that he he does agony well. Now, mileage is going to vary and it has varied between us. But I feel that some of the anguish or the emotional, the agony that the characters are enduring agony and, and anguish, emotional distress are things he's been fixated on through his two films, grief, how we process that. And I admire his attempts at that. I think he does them reasonably well, but doesn't stick the landing as we'd said. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course there's some kind of on the nose stuff with cultural entitlement, white privilege, sure. uh, ugly Americans, right? Uh, this church is very metal. Oh, they're not the church. It's a very like metal place. Yeah. But I, I love the, the the production design, like yeah. the, those buildings and and someone had to hand paint. I'm assuming it wasn't CG. Like I, I assume with him, someone would have hand painted that cabin, like all the. Ah, uh, yeah, I would believe so. Yeah, yeah. that's again. I that's a little thing, but I, I really love that. I love seeing that. Right. That's that's yeah. a lot of work put into it. Yep. <laughs> I'm being uh, hit. I'm being hit in the head with a stuffed stocking uh, in ooh. the background here. My daughter, she's like, "Are you done?" I'm like, "No, no, yeah, give me uh, a minute." And I'm getting banged. Yeah, yeah, two minutes, we'll be done. <laughs> uh, but get how about uh, that drink? Oh yeah, he, he gets yeah uh, that drink, man. That that, uh, that, that green tea. That uh, green tea with uh, <laughs> comes with a little bean sprout in it. Oh yeah, 
Well, well, that uh, that uh, well, that pie eats, you know, gives a little, you know, got a little fiber in that pie. You get a little hair pie, oh, yeah. hair pies. They say, yeah, the old shaky pudding, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> uh, I think you know, Astro does a, a well. I know Todd was kind of checked out, but I, I feel that even he has this scene where we get these Swedish women dancing in the sunlight, and to have that sort of be full of anxiety and kind of dread is. Testament to someone who's who's willing to try some things and do some things, and it, it was a bit of an anxious scene for me. It also it reminded me a little bit of they who sh- they shoot horses, don't they? We get this yeah. kind of dance okay. to the end. Yeah, scene. I I had that moment too when she was talking about it. I was like, oh yeah, they shoot horses, don't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, do, 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 do. fantastic shot, soft focus between the legs when uh, the boyfriend comes into the that cabin. You yeah. know that scene, the yeah. camera's low, it's like on almost yeah. your stomach. No, it's I mean, again, the shots he's got is pretty good. And, you know, I, I don't like the Jack Rayner character in the film, and I feel like he's kind of gotten uh, beat up with some of the comments I've seen stuff. But I got to admit, you know, Jack Rayner, it's a pretty brave performance from him. I mean, he's he's pretty exposed as well. I don't he really, is. I don't really care for him in the movie. I'm not a big Jack Rayner fan. He's on a TV show I watched, and I've just never been a huge fan. My daughter's not a big fan either. But... uh <laughs> here you know I, I gotta admit you know it's pretty brave you know it's a brave moment and you know he's very exposed literally <laughs> i think yeah and it it really does feel that astor was trying to create a, a, a flawed human care i don't think he created I don't, I don't think his intent was to demonize him i think it was a flawed in his eyes a very real character that was well-intentioned but clumsy and just flawed just damaged right um the Swedes do know how to have a good time, clearly. That's right. Uh, it gets very feverish. And, and yeah, there's something, the vulnerability that comes with being nude, right? His character is very yeah. vulnerable. And I also like the way Astor shoots nudity and, and different body types uh, nude. It it's, may sound bizarre to say, but I do like it. It feels very TCM at the back end with some of the revelations. Uh, yeah. Like that's sort of the, the TCM house, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we just get that slowly kind of, creeping inescapable feeling of dread and helplessness and yet it's a pretty horrific uh finale until we get that closing shot so it is i I gotta i gotta say though and i don't know how todd feels about this but without giving anybody anything away i gotta say the way it kind of finally ends the climax and everything else it almost feels like you know like cauterizing a wound like it's we're gonna wash away all this stuff and yeah as, as horrific as it is it's like yeah, well, of course, I guess that's the way you have to go because I don't know what else you can do at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Uh, those are all my notes. Let's kick it over to the old, uh, the old uh, TC here for some make or breaks and MBTs. All right. Uh, make or break uh, would be the first big ritual, um, which we all know what it is. Uh, oh, with the old couple? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as if you didn't know what to expect from this thing. Uh, this particular scene really cinches that up nicely. Um, and it's also the, the first and last time that there really is any kind of uh, shock. Yeah. Um, it's a great in scene. The film. It's a great scene. It is. It is. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Aster. Uh, I think the man has talent and he's got courage. And like we've been saying, I, I think that, yeah, he's got, he has better movies in him. Uh, he just needs to develop them out more uh and develop himself out more maybe i don't know uh couldn't say i don't talk with the guy um either way but uh yeah 
he's the uh, the MVP here for me. And score is uh, six point five out of ten. Um, oh, that's better than I thought you were going to go, man. Yeah, well, I, you're tough. I, I, I like Pew. I like, and I I, I want to like Aster more than I actually do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this thing is uh, yeah, a little bit better than Hereditary, uh, but still not uh, didn't knock my socks off, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Uh, okay, um, I'm going to go make a break. There's a few good moments in the film. I mean, the film does have some uh, pretty interesting scenes that I enjoyed. Um, but I'm with Todd. I think uh, that rock scene, that scene is, is well, it just it packs a punch. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite memorable. I won't forget it anytime soon. That's for damn sure. Um. You know, I did not know what to expect. I had avoided all spoilers with this, everything. So yeah. I didn't know what I was watching. And, uh, I mean, I knew I knew what was coming. I uh, didn't expect it the way it way it ended up panning out. So, um, well, I guess I kind of did, but I don't guess I expected him to show as much as he showed. <laughs> and mm-hmm. That was a bit shocking. Um, uh, my MVT, I'm going to go Pew. I'm going to go Pew. I think she's really, really good in the movie. I found her to be the kind of anchor of the thing. I found the movie at its most interesting whenever she's on screen, which is a lot of the movie. But whenever she was off screen and it was just like a couple of the other characters talking, I, I mean, I really didn't have any interest at all. So, uh, the, you know, I, I think that says a lot about her. Um, I think she does a lot with her eyes and with her face, and, and I think that's very impressive. I really do. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, I, I think it's a bit of a mess. I think I, I think I like Hereditary a little bit more, but... I'd give this one uh, seven point two five. I'll go seven point two five. Uh, it's nice. It's good, but you know, I, I don't think it's a revelation. I think his revelation is yet to come. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a true statement. I mean, I hope so, and I'll keep watching his stuff because I think there's enough to admire from a craft perspective, regardless, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so for me. Uh, my maker break is going to be that opening the, the the tragedy that kind of sends her over the deep end in some ways and it just shakes her to her core it, it was really powerful and like I said I think I was bringing some own, some own emotional stuff to that sure, uh, sure. scene uh, so it, it just really packed a wall up and then again it, the way it, it it plays out with Pew to have to really have to do some heavy lifting uh, as an actor uh, in that scene wow as I thought okay if nothing else we're going to get a good turn here. And I knew the runtime, right? And, and yeah, Hereditary, I liked, didn't love, but I felt like, okay, with Pew, wow. Okay, I'm good. Let's just see what, what she does. MVT is Pew. I could go with Aster because I feel like, yes, he pulls it all together, but I don't feel he quite sticks the landing. And we, I tend to want to reward that to that director that just brings us something that's like 8.5 and up, where all elements are elevated. And when all elements are elevated, it, tends to be because the director's been able to do so whereas there are things that this that are flabby you know when I, I could look at this scene like you guys mentioned that you guys loved so much and it is a wonderful scene it is that Astor's way of of putting us in the character's shoes where there's this tragedy going on and she feels that she's the only one that feels and everyone else is numb and it's just part of life and she's turned up emotionally right so there's a lot of stuff going on there that you know I wonder what he was trying to convey maybe but but no pew is is the 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 weight of the film for me my score is the same as sammy's it's a 7.25 out of 10 uh i liked it quite a bit there's a lot to admire but um 
yeah, it's uh, of the two films we've covered this week and of the the two of the, the second effort from the three filmmakers we've, we've been comparing it. It's probably the bronze medalist, maybe photo finish silver. Mm, yeah. Man, I'm looking through the films that A24 has done over the last, I don't know, they've been working, they've been starting since 2013. I guess the, the earliest film I've seen from A24 would be uh, Spring Breakers. Oh, wow, yeah. That's but a good man, one. If you, if like you look, yeah, if you look through here, there is a ton of interesting stuff. There's some misses in here, but man, they really are. That's okay. Yeah. If you're going to be that um, ambitious in your artistic you know, vision, hey, yeah. Swing, swing away. Be Reggie Jackson because you're going to hit some home runs. Yeah, you're going to. You're going to strike out, but you're going to hit some home runs too. Going to go yard like Teddy fucking ball game. Uh, yeah. yeah. First, first Reformed was the one that really kind of stuck with me. That was the A24 film that I remember. That that was the Paul Schrader jam. That was great. Yeah. I still got to see that, man. Yeah, yeah you got to see that one. I think you got to see, especially if we're going to do a end of the year thing. I think you need to see that. Okay. Noted. Yeah. Noted. Uh, I remember what I watched recently in that A24. There's a Apple TV Plus uh, film out there called The Elephant Queen. I watched some of that with my daughter. Just, just you know, it's a nature film, sort of. And I remember seeing A24 at the beginning of it and thinking, oh, oh there they are again. I mean, they're, t- they're attached to so much stuff. The Souvenir, Last Black Man in San Francisco, The Farewell, The Lighthouse, The Elephant Queen, Waves, In Fabric. I mean, they're attached to tons of stuff. Uncut Gems. The Florida Project, Killing of a Sacred Deer. They've done the Yorgos Lathamos films, yeah. That's I mean, amazing. i got to see that, man. Yeah, there's tons of stuff. I mean, they it's really impressive what they've done in a short time. And Hereditary obviously made a ton of money for them, so they got a hell of a docket coming up, some interesting stuff coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're in it for the long haul, thereby. All right. That is the uh, big show. Uh, next week, I believe we're, we're hitting the Criterion channel and we're hitting it hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it was me and Todd. We programmed the show. I'm Pacho's death of a cyclist directed by Javier Bardem's daddy. Bardem daddy dogs. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Todd chose killers on parade, which is something I've never seen. I've always meant to see it. I've never seen it. So yeah, 1961, uh, directed by Masahiro Shinoda. Yeah. That's a Shinoda jam. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're both on the Criterion channel if you want to play along. so Can't wait. Yeah, should be fun. It's always good to use that Criterion subscription. <laughs> yeah, got to justify it somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Make a podcast. That's the best way uh-huh. to do it. <laughs> that's the best way to do it. <laughs> All right, so that is what we're doing next week. We hope everybody has a wonderful week. Uh, if you love football, enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday. If you don't love football, enjoy whatever you do on Sunday. Uh, and... Uh, I'll say that because we record on Sundays. But anyway, uh, that's all I got. I'll say adios. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 